There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show. From the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, questions from the audience. Alongside Gangster Pete, I'm your host, Tim McKernan. It's a podcast in which you send in questions, opinions, stories, really anything to T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. And what we do is we read them and we talk about them. It's really kind of a simple format. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Anytime you have anything, just send it in, and the next thing you know, it becomes a podcast topic. We're in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am in my basement. Gangster Pete is in the Kirkwood studios, and the HomeLoanExpert.com is our studio sponsor. I just refinanced with the HomeLoanExpert.com. Com and therefore can speak from a first-person experience to how easy the process was and how I recommend it to our audience. In addition to supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, I can also tell you that it saved me 20-plus percent. 20-plus percent. I finally did the math, and it's 20-plus percent. And I know before I had done it, I thought, okay, this is going to be a whole thing, and I really don't have the appetite for a whole thing at this moment. And it was so easy. It was so easy. Like the signing process in order to do it can be done now uh, just by, you know, one of those uh, documents, e-scan via email. Couldn't be any easier. That took less than five minutes. And then when my wife and I went in to close, which was last uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, one of those three, um, we were in there for less than 12 minutes that quickly. So, and, and just like that, we've saved 20%. And uh, the amount of money we save and how easy it was and knowing we're doing business with uh, somebody the caliber of Ryan Kelly and his staff makes it so easy. And I, it, it's, it's irresponsible at this point not to uh, at least look into how much you can save. It's the Home Loan Expert, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, our studio sponsor. Gangster Pete, what's the good word with you, fine sir? Uh, you know, just uh, doing it, making it happen. I like that. I, like that. I really, <laughs> really like that. I feel like this is – I think people are starting to turn to questions from the audience for maybe a little more depth, so to speak, than what we are currently able to do with the Ryan Kelly morning after. We are coming off of, I think, the worst show that I have done <laughs> on TMA since 2007. You don't like the Tudors? I, that was probably the highlight of the worst show that we have done since 2007. And so I've got a few things going on. And I've just decided now, and, I, and you like it, that I'm swerving into this as opposed to kind of, I don't know, swatting it away. Now I'm swerving into it. Yeah, get in there. Uh, swerve, swerving into the hatred that I know is there for whatever reason. I don't know, but I just know it's there. So it's like, okay, fuck you. You hate me, then fuck you. But that's not what this moment is about. Uh, first off, the morning after was, for my money, the worst show we've done that I've been a part of anyway since 2007. Um, and I'm not saying that is a hyperbolic prisoner of the moment Mike Greenberg take. I really, it was so bad 
that I was looking at the clock a variety of different times for the first time since 2007 going, I don't know what the hell we're going to do to get to the top of the hour. That's how bad it was. Um, So they have that, and I'll get into that in a moment. Then secondly, for whatever reason, my basement is freezing cold, and that's where I'm doing the show. And I know that Seth Goldcamp and Design Air Heating and Cooling uh, have set up our house so that it is, is whatever we want, we can do. So you have, here, here are our two principles. This is our science lesson. It's like Mr. Wizard's World. Cold air falls, hot air rises. Is that right? That's right. So at night on our top floor, we turn the air on. We have nothing on the main floor, and then I believe we turn everything off on the uh, in the basement, which is where I do the show. And so that means when I come down here in the morning at whatever time it is, usually in the 5 o'clock hour, and drink my coffee and read and watch TV, uh, it's super cold. So then I turn on the heat. But I believe the air is still on on the top floor, and so it's essentially canceling each other out, and I'm just fr- – I am wearing, as we are talking – my winter coat, <laughs> which I just went out and, and put on um, after we recorded TMA. And I saw my son, who, of course, I love seeing, but I also know when I see him, he does not want me to just make an appearance. It becomes that he wants to play, which I love, but that, that's why I do TMA. And if we have to do a podcast, I do a podcast. And then I tend to as much business as I can. Um before going upstairs, because I know once I go upstairs, he will freak out if I then have to return downstairs. But I had to get the winter coat, and uh, and so now I feel terribly because, A, just did the worst Ryan Kelly morning after in 13 years. B, I'm freezing, and C, I had to leave my son, who is, uh, who is, is, is sad that his father had to return back downstairs. So those are the three things. So I'm in a very, very bad mindset <laughs> as we do this podcast which might lead to a great podcast or it might lead to a bad podcast i don't know but i think it's important to let the audience know where i am with regard to roman numeral one the bad tma did you sense how bad the show was today uh th- I, th- I noticed there's a lot of trouble with people talking over people it was it was the worst it's ever been yeah it, it was the worst it's it's bad it's bad even when we're in studio which is why I really don't talk that much on the show. <laughs> but that, people are starting to make that observation more and more. And so I'm just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to get out of the way because I want to talk, but I don't want to contribute to the interrupting. So the only way to know that there won't be additional interrupting is by not talking. Right. So I don't really talk. So then my chance to actually host a show is this <laughs> podcast. That's when I host a show now. So there's that. Um, and... And because of that, maybe then I retreat it even more, and then I let it wander even more. And I'm frustrated because as a listener at this moment, no longer a host, but somebody, not just a <laughs> listener, but who has to listen per, per my contract as the host, I, I don't know what to do to try to fix the thing. And, and then I have to put responsibility on myself and that, you know, I, 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 it's not really a brag. It's just the way that the show has worked, that we're able to roll the ball out there and it works and trust the force. And today the force wasn't working. And I'm like, oh, this is what happens when the force doesn't work. And it's just just horrendous. I mean, it was it's one thing. It's like, oh, I'll tell you what's that good. It was so bad. 
I wanted to like text you and go, hey, do you have a Swope's Picks available? <laughs> Which, as you know, I've never done in the nearly three years you've been with us. I, I Two years? Three years? Nurse? 2018. Two, uh, two yeah. So, uh, I, I, I mean, I just, I don't know. So what this means is I've got to, like, put some things together as essentially a fallback for tomorrow's show. That's what I, I can't let what happened today happen again. I also am going to bring my winter stuff down into the basement <laughs> to prevent the, the cold thing and the stuff with running upstairs to get my winter coat. That doesn't have to happen again by taking care of number two where I would run into my son, uh, and then he freaks out. But I just... I am coming off of TMA, and I have to, and I have to work on things uh, immediately after the podcast with regard to um, what we're what we're looking at, which is out in the open now, so I don't have to dance around that. With regard to acquiring a radio station or some some kind of maneuver, and uh, and that is really where I will be. Really, that's when I clock in for the day, um, and at this moment, it is certainly a priority. And uh, and so um, I want to do that. This podcast, as I've said before, is therapeutic, but I'm looking forward to it because it's just really the first time I feel like I'm going to be able to talk with an extended thought. Um, and it's just it's it's the nature of the situation in general that we are in a spot where Doug is at his house. He's on a phone. I think there's a slight delay there. The cat's at his house. He's on a phone. I think there's a slight delay there. I have a Comrex unit. Um, and that's just because I had the Comrex unit when I was in spring training. I still haven't been back into the studio since spring training, so I still have the Comrex unit, which I don't think has the delay, and it has a clearer um, connection. And then you have the Plowhawk and Iggy, who talk more than you do, Pete. And so, although I really feel like the Plowhawk only talks when, when spoken to, um, but then you basically have four people who can't see each other who don't know when the other is going to talk, and if there's a pregnant pause, <laughs> then all four feel um, a primal inclination <laughs> of having to fill that time. And if you're just filling, it means the thought isn't necessarily that provocative or amusing, and it becomes white noise, vanilla broadcasting. And that's what we had for, God, I don't know, two of the three hours today. And uh, as the person with the C on his sweater, I've got to own it. And I'm, I'm really irritated by it. And I feel, uh, I feel very uh, disappointed in myself, Gangster Pete. That's what I feel like. Your thoughts, sir? Well, I've never heard you this disappointed after a show before. So I yeah, because I, ha- I really haven't been. Even, even the bad ones are still pretty good. But this was so bad, I'm kind of I'm not embarrassed by it. But I'm just like, ugh. You know, I've got to just – because here's the thing. And we've talked about it more on the podcast than, than on the radio show. I don't want to get into the coronavirus. Right. And it's not because I don't want to get into the coronavirus. What can you say general. that hasn't been said? What's that? What can you say that hasn't been said about the coronavirus? Well, it's that, but it's now it, it, it is so politicized mm-hmm. that it's, 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 a, it's a toxic topic. And so it's, you, can't, you can't, like even like the sports links that you sent over that somewhat had to do with the coronavirus. <laughs> right. and, I, and, and you probably noticed... Maybe you didn't. I assume you did because I know you're a sharp cat. I, I read the story CBS from CBS Sports. with the, the report on uh, baseball. Mm-hmm. And, and then what it leads to is, and, and some people might not realize, I mean, I think I, think I think I know what's going on. You know, the cat really wants sports back. Okay, I get it. I understand the situation. Um, and, and then Doug will say, yeah, I don't know how much longer people can take this. Do you see the protests out there? 
and it's like I, I, you know, it just depends on where you're, where you're getting your information from, and then I, I don't know, I don't know how to handle it. Honestly, that's 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 the real predicament. I don't know how to handle it. For the first few weeks of talking about it, um, I didn't view it as a political topic. Uh, I mean, you had the president do it, but he, the president does what he does, and I don't really, it's just that. It, and i just like, okay, there's that guy saying things, but they don't really matter. At least they don't matter to me, but then I guess i got to think about it that it does that for like 35% of the population, they, they really buy in. But I didn't really feel like, like a medical issue could be politicized, and now that it's there, and now I, whereas perhaps naively, I didn't see it that way a few weeks ago. Now I see it, and maybe it's because it's increased over the last few weeks. I just try to avoid the topic. But it is the topic, but now I'm intentionally avoiding it so it doesn't turn into one of those political shows that I also don't think is particularly great radio. So it's, a, it's I, I, I didn't, I enjoyed actually doing the show the first few weeks of it, Again, considering the circumstances, it wasn't like enjoyable. But considering the circumstances, it was an outlet. And now uh, it's it's a weird spot. And so I I mean, it's not like there's sports to fall back on. Not that that was that's a huge deal one way or the other for the show. But it's like the big topic in the room. I kind of prefer not to talk about on TMA. I I I'd talk about it for three hours on this this podcast, but um, not on TMA because we don't necessarily debate philosophy we debate what's true and that leads to me oftentimes either biting my tongue and kind of like banging my head against the wall or kind of losing my shit and neither one are great so there is there is the state of my mind at this particular moment gangster pete yeah i mean some a lot of this there's nothing you can do about it because, I mean, it, it is really hard when you have that many people that can't see each other and you've got the delay. So that is going to be an issue every day. And then, yeah, if you want to avoid the coronavirus because, I mean, it's getting more and more politicized. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, that's what was so cool about the last dance the other night. It was almost like a sporting event was on that everyone was watching again, you know? Yeah. Like, it had been so long since there had been something on TV that you just knew everybody was watching and you could discuss so. And so we had that for the first hour of the show yesterday, and I loved it. Yeah, you know, and I felt like yesterday's show was. I mean, it's uh, that's you know, you. I mean, I don't even know. I guess we could do the math. Sixteen years, probably about two hundred fifty shows per year. I happen to have a calculator right next to me here, so let's see what we're looking at here. Sixteen times two fifty, four thousand shows. Uh, I should have been able to do that math on the fly. <laughs> um, and you know, of the 4,000 shows, 3,900 have been either just what I would describe as just good and easy. And just today's stands out to me and takes me back to 2007. And that was the time when uh, Martin had quit, producer Joe had been fired, the cat had been fired, and I was working with Bob Fesco, and it, we just didn't have the chemistry. And Bob, Bob has gone on to do well for himself in Kansas City. We just do what, you know, what he does and what I do, two totally different things. doesn't make him bad and me good or vice versa. It's just, just it, it isn't a good fit. So it just didn't work. And so a system I had been used to playing, I couldn't play any longer. And then it got to a point where I'm, like, looking at the clock going, oh, my God, I can't wait till a commercial break. And that's what we had today. And it was, it was a holy shit moment because I haven't had that. In, in so long 
And it's just like, okay, I got to make sure that if I'm not going to get, let the coronavirus get into the discussion, not because I don't want to talk about it, but because it becomes so political, the hatred <laughs> that comes in when we talk about it for whomever is talking oh, about yeah. it, it's not, it's not limited to any one person. It's not limited to like liberals on Doug or conservatives on me. It's, it's, it's across the board. Um, is and, and I also, and I've had some people who've emailed me and I would describe them as, um, I think, intelligent, but you can't really, I mean, you can gauge it, I guess, by how somebody writes, but, you know, you don't know. Um, but astute people, at the very least. And they're saying things that then I look up, just like, okay, maybe they're right and I'm wrong. And then I look it up and it's like, no, they're wrong. But yet they're saying wrong things really politely. And and so it's just a, like and by wrong I'm not talking about opinion I'm talking about they're they're actually saying things that are factually incorrect but they're saying it politely because usually the way it works is people say th- they're either insulting and it's just like dumb and you just go okay delete and it's whatever or if they're saying something um, with facts that that are they're pointing out are, in, are incorrect they might be doing it in a mean spirited way because it does usually take if you're in an angry spot. Uh, you're not going to necessarily write politely. So you kind of have to be counterintuitive to what it would be if you're going to write somebody to disagree. So I, I take those seriously. And then I'm like, okay, maybe we were wrong on that. i got to look it up. And I'm like, oh, no, that, that, that wasn't wrong. That We were right. And this person, while, you know, saying it kindly, is, is actually wrong. Um, and so that's the tough, that's the tough thing about uh, the current... Again, I'm coming off of this particular show <laughs> where I'm real. Like, I almost wanted to text Doug and the cat and go, what the fuck do we do? I mean, this is like, it's like we're, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a very old reference, but a, a, but a, a great Missouri basketball team in 94, and I think I oh, yeah. brought it up because I made reference to uh, Nolan Richardson interviewing him when I was doing TV in Little Rock, and, uh, and they went undefeated in the Big 8, but they got slaughtered by like 50 or 60 points at the opening of Bud Walton Arena in Fayetteville, and then they went on to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. But that night, they were terrible, and that's what we just had. And so I'm coming off of that, and I'm and I'm about to sneeze. There's nothing I can do about it. <coughs> oh, there it was. Bless you. Do you have allergies, Gangster Pete? No, I'm blessed. Oh my God. Oh, holy shit! This time of year, and I was only outside with my son for like ten minutes, and and it's already starting up so um so anyway questions from the audience has always without fail made me feel better it is it is my drug i enjoy questions from the audience it is nice to know that i can say something and expound on it and and get all of my thoughts (laughs) out there uh and so that's what questions from the audience is and uh, Gangster Pete, as I continue to observe, your stock continues to rise every week. There, there are new emails or even posts on the fan page. I know that's not your favorite place uh, about enjoying your work on the program. Well, I appreciate it. That's nice. It's fun to do something different. Uh, like I said before, I know how fast that can turn. So, you're not reading your own press clippings. I'm not reading the clear. press clippings. All right, one, one well, game at we'll a get time. It underway. And uh, and some of these I'm I've read some of them I've seen they're longer and I just go okay I'll read them when we get to the uh, program uh, I don't think that yeah this one I do remember reading because it came in uh, 
12.06 in the morning, so it's probably like something I read the very first thing when I woke up. And these are just kind of like questions that I can't answer. They're not necessarily philosophical, but I'm happy to do it. Hey, Tim, I have a couple of questions I'm curious about. Number one, why doesn't Doug ever have the text line up? Is it because it's vile, he doesn't own a laptop, or it's better to get his raw response? I'm certain he owns a laptop. <laughs> he does not bring it into the program, and... Um, I just don't think he really cares. I think that would probably be the best way to answer it. So uh, he does not have it up. There isn't, there isn't a great answer to it. The cat sometimes does. He sometimes doesn't. It seems like when he's at home he does more so because he'll sometimes close it. Iggy does not. Plowhawk does, or at least can. And Pete, you do. That would be a way to describe, and I do, that would be a way to describe the text inbox and who is seeing it and who is not. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's right. Doug just doesn't care. He doesn't care. Uh, number two, besides getting his MBA, this is a gangster Pete question. Uh-oh. What did Pete previously do before joining TMA? Did he have a previous occupation slash career? Also, was he a fan of the show or did he just see it as a business opportunity? Sorry if these have already been answered. I generally don't miss an episode of TMA, but I'm hit or miss here. Uh, thanks for all you do. That's from Ryan Shanley. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I used to teach business classes, uh, college college credit business classes to high school kids, and then I got my MBA while I was doing that, and then I got a job doing uh, real estate development for an assisted living company. So uh, I did that for a few years, and then decided I wanted to do something that I enjoyed doing, and so here I am. Yeah, Gangster Pete uh, is, a, uh, is a sharp cat, and uh, has been a great addition to the program. I'm hesitant on this one because I didn't read it. It's long and it's baseball specific. <sighs> God, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Sir McKernan, please indulge me a query if you may. This may be a little long-winded, so bear with me. Considering the possibility that MLB may play games without fans, I'm wondering what you thought that might do to the possibility of Dylan Carlson making the Major League team if it happens. I've heard that despite strong spring training performances, some pundits did not believe he would have made the opening day roster because the Cardinals preferred to give first chances to other more established players like Lane Thomas and Tyler O'Neill. The thought being that they deserve the first chance and that Carlson would be better served with playing time in the minors than sitting on the bench of the majors. Every Even now, there seems to be some thought that the same logic would apply when baseball resumes, despite the likelihood that rosters would be expanded. This confuses me, though. This premise assumes that minor league teams would also be playing without fans, but why would that be? There will already be risks with major league teams playing in controlled environments that minimally require 100-plus personnel, even without fans. Adding 100 or more minor league teams practicing or playing fanless games would seem to me to just increase the risk. Also, I'd be shocked if minor league teams can generate any revenue without tickets and game day sales, so it would just be giant expense landing on the balance sheet of every major league owner. But I do wonder, since baseball, unlike other sports, relies heavily on the minor leagues to cover injuries and develop future players, how they could get by without the minor leagues playing. Seems like a catch-22 to me. Again, I'm enjoying the show. Adam, not call Adam. Uh, P.S. If you're also taking opinions, is this really Q-O-F-T-A? That doesn't really roll off the tongue, though. All right, so there's that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. My honest answer is I, I, I probably should edit this out and just not read it. <laughs> that, that's, 
It's my, my allergies are killing me now because I was outside. And I'm pissed about how bad the radio show was. And the last thing I'm thinking about is Dylan Carlson and Lane Thomas. I have to picture who they are, actually, before I answer the question. That's my honest answer. I don't know. I don't know what the minor leagues are going to do. I know the question has the purest of intents. And this gentleman has sent in a number of good questions. Uh, it's just not something um, that I have a real strong opinion on. That is, that's the honest answer. And you can think I'm a complete asshole for the answer. But I want to be honest with you. Pete, anything? Play the best guys. I have to blow my nose, so I because my fucking allergies so brutal, and I'm on so much shit, man. I'm on Flonase, something that starts with an X, a Y, and a Z. I have no idea why they <laughs> named it that because it's the most. How the hell do you pronounce something with an X and a Y and a Z to start? What kind of fucking marketing research <laughs> you did that? You got that neti pot going too, don't and you? And I have a neti pot. And the neti pot's the tits. The neti pot is the tits. That should be their marketing. Whoever named <laughs> Zixol should be terminated. And the neti pot is the tits. And a roommate in college had a neti, neti pot. pot to you. It's the tits. Have you ever neti potted? No, my roommate in college had a neti pot. I'd never seen one before. I was like, what the hell is that? Oh, I thought it was like it's a, doing some drugs or something. God, it's a thing. Like the first couple of seconds of neti pot, and I guess I, I'm obligated to explain what it is, and I really might need to do it, even though I was outside for like five minutes. Holy shit, this is bad. God, it's bad, man. Um, it, it looks like a little like Aladdin's lantern, actually, <laughs> more than a teapot. And you put a mixture of saline into the water, and then you tilt your head over the sink. You insert one of the... Or, or the end of the Aladdin's lantern into one of your nostrils, and then the water pours through your sinuses, clearing out the pollen. And you do truly feel better, but you can feel like, like if you were to, you cannot inhale through your nose while this process is going on. I don't even know what that would, I mean, I would imagine it would be brutal. <laughs> so you have to consciously breathe and do so through your mouth because it's a substantial amount of water and then once you're halfway through that water then you turn the other way and then you put it through the other nostril and it does truly feel better i really should neti pot in the middle of this podcast I'm, i might need to because i'm my eye is itching so much and i'm gonna have to uh to sneeze but yes i if you are having allergies that has helped me i, I all that i've done this morning is this flonase thing that zixal which is xyzal <laughs> it's the worst fucking name uh, you're supposed to take at night, so I did that. But I just have the worst seasonal allergies, and it's the and usually, it's either this or September, maybe the first week or two of October in St. Louis. It's the absolute best weather, but for this time of year, I don't have it in September, October. But for this time of year, it's really a motherfucker to be outside. And I would imagine one out of, I don't know, 25 or 50 people deal with this. So for most people, they're just like you got to be kidding me. You're bitching this much about sneezing, but it's not just sneezing. It's like my eyes are super red, and, and I was outside for a very small amount of time. So anyway, I know that wasn't the question. It was about Dylan Carlson making the Major League <laughs> roster, and I honestly just don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I really don't. And I know it's a legitimate question, and if they're not playing minor leagues, then why not have them on the Major League roster? And if they are playing major leagues and there aren't minor leagues and they don't put them on the Major League roster – it, then people are understandably going to wonder what the hell's going on because then it will be like nothing but service time, I, I would say, would be the uh, criticism. All right, been listening on to the uh, radio show for the last 10 years and the podcast since it began. Thoroughly enjoy both of them. 
I appreciate how you're willing to show both sides of the coin, whether you agree or disagree. To rephrase, even though you might be on one side of an issue, you're not afraid to point out the opposing side. My question to you is, where do you find your news these days? You have to be mindful of what you can watch slash read and if they have an agenda or bias. We all know of Fox slash CNN and their slant. Newspapers generally all lean left. I would prefer to be presented facts and form my own opinions. In your eyes, what are the most impartial news services, uh, news sources these days? Thanks in advance. It's from Snoop and Bell Vegas. Um, I really appreciate the, uh, the first part of it. That's something that I take seriously. Uh, I, tr- I, I really do. I really try to do it in a, in a big way. Um, I was trying to think. We talked about it. I don't know if it was the end of Monday's show. What is today? Tuesday, so it had to be Friday. Um, that when it comes to interpreting news, not even interpreting news, news, um, accessing news, I think the core issue I really do. I actually think the core issue of the polarization of the United States is news. I honestly believe that. I believe that you can you can point to something. Now, maybe, maybe people will. And this will like be somebody will be bold and start a contrarian thread against me on the fan page. A big moment for them. But that's that's not what my intent is. And you can email me if you disagree with it. But my premise being like, if you go, no, Donald Trump is the problem. Or if you go, Nancy Pelosi is the problem. Or Barack Obama was the problem. Whatever. Take your pick. It doesn't matter. I believe that you can then take take whichever person you want to list and then backtrack it. And then you will get to the way facts are presented or not presented in the news. But. It depends on which news outlet you are getting it from. So that, to me, is the core because if you are having a conversation with someone, so take politics out of it. Take Picture yourself at work, and not necessarily with your boss, but you're at work with a peer, and you're trying to solve a problem. And your peer is telling you, Something that, in your mind, is just false. It's going to irritate you. And, and therefore, you're also going to think, just play it out. You're going to think your, your coworker is lying to you. And then, therefore, because you think you are being lied to, what do you associate with someone who is lying to you, who is knowingly representing falsehood to you? You consider that person to have poor character, correct? And so, what's that? Piece of shit. Yes. And so, if right now, if you have a, and I don't even think I think I think like the easy way out. Well, both sides do it, and you know, it's just the extremes of both because the left's moving far to the left and the right's moving far. It's kind of like this. Here, let me let me take your cock in my hand and your cock in my hand. I'm going to jerk you both off. And we're going to just not really say anything but fill time and make it sound like we're giving a take. And it's, it's bullshit because I don't even think you have to be – I don't think you have to be extreme to have this going on at all, as a matter of fact. Pete, I think we could have it, and I think we're probably somewhat uh, similar in our uh, worldviews. But if, if I'm saying something to you, and even if I'm doing so politely – 
And you're like, no, I know that that's not true, and we have to agree on a certain set of facts before we move on to figuring out how to address these facts that are causing a problem. Well, how can we possibly work together if we're disagreeing on what the problem is? And how does that happen? It happens from the news outlets. And that is why I say I understand both sides of it. I really do, because I don't think everyone is bad. (laughs) I don't think the people who are of my mindset, which is certainly a slim amount in particular in the St. Louis metropolitan area, who, who share my worldviews, are the only ones who are right, and then everyone who doesn't, and that would be like almost anybody I like hang out with, uh, whether it be family or, or friends, uh, who like view me as this, uh, this outlier, that they're all wrong. But we are getting our information from different places, or we are pursuing information at different levels. And by that I mean, for what I do for a living, I feel it's important that I am as informed as possible. And, uh, and that is why, and also I enjoy, and I enjoy reading it. So I am a subscriber to the New York Times. <gasps> Fucking liberal. I am a subscriber to the Wall Street Journal. <gasps> Fucking conservative. And I watch on Sunday mornings, and I make sure to do so, even on days where I'm not really in the mood for it, uh, or when I look at the panels and I go, oh, shit, this motherfucker. Uh, meet the Press and Fox News Sunday. So Chuck Todd and Chris Wallace. Um, so that is what I do. But even with that, I would tell you that I notice things that I don't even think are necessarily malicious in their representation of what has taken place. Now, you can look at panels Panels are different, just like hosts of like your nighttime cable news shows. Those are op-eds. Those are editorials. Those are hosts of TV shows. Those are not your news anchors. You know, in other words, uh, Lester Holt should be. I want to emphasize, verbally italicize, Lester Holt should be different than Rachel Maddow. Not necessarily in the ideal standpoint, But in the execution of the NBC business standpoint, both are at NBC. One is at MSNBC and one is the anchor of the NBC Nightly News. And Lester Holt should be different than Sean Hannity. And he should be different than Don Lemon. So he is an anchor. The others are hosts. But I don't think that the public necessarily sees a difference between the two. I think that's the case. I agree with and that. And so, do you agree with that, Pete? Absolutely. And so I think that's where a lot of this comes from. Now, if you were to open up, and at this point you have to be a subscriber. I pay to be, not that, I, I think it's well worth it, too. It's like 15 bucks for each one per month. And for what I do for a living, you know, to spend $45 on subscriptions, and I guess I'm a subscriber to The Athletic, and that's like a dollar or something a month. Um, but with regard to politics... The, the, the caliber of the reporting in those uh, newspapers, although I'm reading them, of course, online uh, or over my phone, um, is at such another level. 
it's it's such an and I'm not talking about the editorials. I don't I actually I guess I, I it's it's not to say I never have. I just don't know. For every article I read, I might read God, I mean for every one hundred articles I read, I may read one op ed. And I don't even know I mean it's just it's it's just kinda like at that point you're just like in a better written version of a comment section. That's how I view it. So I don't know. I'm just out on that stuff. Um, and it's not because I think the people writing it have some kind of malicious intent. It's just, okay, it's an opinion. That's cool. What I am interested in is sourced reporting. That's what I'm interested in. And, and, and so, and I don't know if of the people who are listening to this who, who would even be in the same um, you know, who, who, are, who are relating to what I'm saying in the sense that looking for information and, and then who have, like, maybe back in the day read, you know, just like would read a foxnews.com or a cnn.com and then take that and then go and start reading wsj.com, nytimes.com, washingtonpost.com, and the difference is, I mean, it's just monstrous how much better the reporting is. I'm not talking about like, oh, this matches up with my worldview, and therefore I like it. It's just, it's so well done. And it does give me an understanding why journalists, although I realize, you know, certainly part of it is self-interest, but from an idealistic standpoint, continue to talk about the importance of journalism. But right now, I think journalism comes with a negative connotation because journalism is perceived to be this um, created in the back room and then packaged up to serve a left-wing most of the time, that's the perception, or right-wing agenda as opposed to actual reporting. And what I am interested in is actual reporting. But it's tough if I want to have a discussion with somebody and I don't want to have it immediately blow up before we even get the first words out. And I say, yes, and in this story, as reported by the New York Times, if that person is conservative, they immediately go, oh, well, <laughs> fucking New York Times. And we're already done. And we haven't even had the chance to. But if I were to say, well, this in this editorial in the New York Times, I would get it. Because across the board, and I don't even know, if again, because I don't read them, but I see them, and there's like 10 of them a day. I guess I'll open it up right now. Uh, of these columns, you know, I mean, Shit, I'll, you know what, just for the sake of it, I'm opening it up right now, and I will, I will read, read the op-eds and what they're all today titled. Um, you're on your own, essential workers are being told. That's from the editorial board. Oh, now here's a column from Marco Rubio. We need a more resilient American economy. Uh, Gail Collins and Brett Stevens, the politics of sanity are within our grasp. Michael Sandel, are we, are we all in this together? Daniel Markowitz, a wealth tax is the logical way to support coronavirus relief. Uh, Paul Krugman, the right sends in the quacks. That's, I believe, in reference to Dr. Phil, Dr. Drew, and Dr. Oz <laughs> and their regular appearances on Fox News. Uh, Michelle Goldberg, Goldberg uh, Biden presidency could be better than progressives think. Um, I guess this is a conservative one. If liquor stores are essential... Why isn't church? Which, by the way, just reading the headline, I think that's a fair, I have to say, I think that's kind of a fair premise. And it's not like I'm, uh, you know, real into uh, religion. So, yeah, it kind of actually shot it right back at me uh, because clearly they had some conservative column. 
Um, but that's the perception. I know that. But as far as the reporting goes, that the reporting is just, it's so well done. But I would also say that about the Wall Street Journal. And I really find myself enjoying reading that. Whereas I don't, and I DVR NBC Nightly News, um, which I also know, like Doug. If, if Doug were on the show right now with me, he'd go, oh, well, that's liberal, you know. And, but it's, it's, it's a fact-based, it's reporting. It's the panels that then get into, and, it's, and I don't even know how agenda it is. It's, and by that I mean, because agenda to me is flying under the radar to try to uh, communicate opinion passed off as fact. And I don't think panels are that. I think panels are very clearly opinions. So I don't really know if that's an agenda. Um, I guess you could say Fox clearly like brings in a weak liberal and CNN brings in a weak conservative so that, well, we had a conservative, but he got stomped on. So that you, that might be an issue. But um, as far as reporting goes, reporting, not opinions, and to attempt to attempt to get as much accuracy and then see if they if both are being reported by the various outlets uh my three reads are new york times wall street journal washington post and then my two uh well my news program is nbc nightly news dvr and then my uh television news opinion shows sunday morning shows or meet the press at eight o'clock on sunday morning and fox news sunday at least locally it's at nine o'clock with chris wallace so that's 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 my gamut of my attempt to get as much unbiased reporting as possible. Gangster Pete, what is your answer, sir? I like to listen to long-form podcasts, and then uh, I read the Wall Street Journal, the Post. Uh, I find myself reverse-engineering a lot of Internet articles. Like, I'll, I'll read something, and I'll be like, huh, it seems off. And I'll Google the site it's from and then try to figure out what they're, where they're coming from. It's, it it's is, annoying. It's, the thing, the thing about it is, and I feel like we either talked about this on the radio show or the podcast. I think it was the radio show. But what people say is like, oh, I want unbiased reporting. But the reality is these are profit-driven businesses. It's like any other business. And the titillating shit, the controversial shit, the divisive shit is the stuff that works. And so the down-the-middle delivered in a non-bombastic way doesn't make the money. And so you have a catch-22. I think that is a way to sum it up uh, concisely. Uh, if you agree, if you disagree, please feel free to uh, email at tmckernan at insidestl.com, and we can continue the discussion in next week's sode. Uh, before we go to the next question from the audience, uh, we want to make sure we let our audience know that Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies is a wonderful sponsor of this program and somebody I know and respect a great deal. He is online at evergreenstl.com with this market volatility. Uh, I am saying to you, you want to make sure you have somebody and somebody you can count on, and Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies would certainly be that person. He is online at evergreenstl.com, or if you would rather just give him a phone call, You'll feel better after you do. 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. This is the craziest time in our lives with regard to the economy. Make sure you have somebody helping you through this time. Mark Hanna 
is the person I recommend. 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. All right, next question. Uh, I just caught up on last week's QFTA and started this week's and listening to them back-to-back connected something about remote broadcasting. Uh, Oh, this ties into how I opened up today's podcast. Last week you talked about how you hated being... um, separated from everybody and how you guys step on each other since you can't see the tells when you're going to talk, continue talking after a pause. This week, a question was raised about setting up Comrex systems to make for better audio since the cat and Doug are calling in on phone lines. Have you guys discussed setting up a Zoom account or something similar since you have such good chemistry together and won't step on each other? I'm a big spit and chicklets guy, and I know they broadcast live when they record the podcast, and they still step on each other a little bit, but they haven't worked together for uh, more than 10 years either, like you guys have. Just a thought in my buzzed world. Uh, that is from Eric. I don't know. I, I think that probably would help. I think. I think it would help. Um, I don't. I, th- I think my issue with today's show, which was more so than what Eric is referencing, because what he heard had to have been a week or two ago, was uh, we just didn't. I, we just didn't have shit to talk about. But that's my fault. That is my responsibility, and uh, and nobody else's. So yeah, you did have the talking over way more, and I do clearly have things that I want to talk about. Fuck, I mean, I, every every week I wrap this thing up and go, okay, how long do we go, Pete? And I feel terribly because <laughs> I go like two hours, so I can talk and I want to talk and I love talking. That's why it's therapeutic. It's not fun to talk when you like hear somebody like clearing their throat every three seconds or dog barking or like, Oh shit. If I, if I pause, somebody's going to jump in. Um, you know, that's, that's not, that's not fun. And I would imagine, uh, everybody else on the show feels the same way. And so when we're all in the studio, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's mitigated, but what are you going to do? Not do the show. So, Okay, we're in a unique circumstance, first time ever, most likely last time ever, and therefore we've got to take measures to help mitigate the issue. And the issue can't be mitigated with facial tells or body tells that we usually have subliminally from doing the show together for all these years. It's just filled with content that uh, that is going to get people talking and have a conversation as opposed to just filling pregnant pauses and that is my responsibility as uh the point guy on the show so tomorrow's ryan kelly morning after i will probably have 10 things that i would consider discussion starters ideally none of them that could possibly be taken into a political direction and uh and uh, we'll we'll i if we have another show like today pete i'm gonna have to look in the mirror <laughs> because today i just relied on the force and the force has worked for 16 years, even when we're not around each other, and uh, and and it just wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I know you're down it. about it, but I, I trust we'll bounce back tomorrow. I have. A, I'm, I'm confident as well. Now, if we don't, then I'd go, holy shit, what the hell happened? So, uh, yeah, and you know, and, so, and sometimes here's the other thing. Not that this probably is eye-opening to people once I say it, but perhaps since I haven't said it before, it might might be like, oh, now that you say it, I get it. And it can be anybody. It, you know. We're just, you know, random people who happen to do a radio show. But what you have going on professionally uh, or personally can certainly impact it. Like, I can get a text 
and it can be from a family member or it can be business related in the middle of the show and I see it and it has just blown me up. I am now blo- I'm like in a video <laughs> game. I'm no longer participating. I'm there, but I'm no longer active in the game. And, you know, Doug and the cat, to their credit, because I don't know how they do it. Um, you know, I guess the cat doesn't have to do it right now, but he certainly has had to do it for, you know, the first 15 years, you know, being at Bush Stadium until whatever time and then getting up at, I don't know, something in the 5 o'clock hour because the cat's always the first one in the studio. Uh, he just feels like he needs to do that to wake up, whereas I just I need to be at home as long as possible and drink coffee and not be around anybody. <laughs> uh, you know, and then Doug anchoring some nights on Sunday night till like 1230 in the morning and coming in. So, you know, if you're super tired, you're not going to be right. But that's the thing about today. There was nothing really to cause this outside of I just didn't have shit ready. But then again, I really never have shit ready. <laughs> we just go. And it just didn't uh, it just it just didn't work. And I got to be I got to be better than that. Um, so I, so anyway, the question was about Zoom. What do you think on that? Pete, do you think it would do you think it would help? Uh, I mean, I think it could help. I don't know about the delay on the Zoom and the Comrex and all that. So I think we'd have to test it out first. Ah, that's right. That's a good. That's it's, a good. It's. Uh, I mean, it's possible it could help. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's a good point on the, the delay. Is there a delay on Zoom? Well, I don't know if, like, because your audio the Comrex comes in quicker than the phone lines, so I don't know if there would be some kind of disconnect there. Like even with being able to yeah. see each other. Yeah, I guess being yeah. able to see each other regardless, even though you know the delays there, would help. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Now that you mentioned that, um, let's see. This is just a tweet I just happened to see from Andrew Marchand, quote tweeting, uh, "Colin Coward have to share some news. Our podcast and digital ratings in March with no games are up double digits year to year. Sort of expected that." Lots of binge <laughs> podcast listing, but our radio ratings are up big with fewer cars on the road and doubled in Los Angeles. Thanks. Sincerely. Okay, that's just, like, gross. Um, and that by that I mean him tweeting. <laughs> like, if Fox Sports wants to tweet it, I get it. But him tweeting, it's just just like a, you know, but whatever. It's, I guess, <laughs> standard. I'm just not all that familiar with him. I mean, I, I know of him, certainly, but I, I don't know if I've ever watched more than – five minutes straight of him i think he's good in small doses because a lot of times he'll take a contrarian point of view which will make you think a little bit but then like over a long period of time or multiple hours in a day you're just like shut up dude yeah it's just not all that familiar with him so i thought it was interesting because um people have asked hell i had it happen yesterday matter of fact um like how it affects what we do. And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, we still just do our thing. And fortunately, because our thing on both this show and the and, and TMA is to talk about whatever and whatever is going on in our lives and what it is that we're most interested in, it doesn't affect us because we're not like reliant on the Cardinals or Blues to be playing. But now that I'm in this mode where I feel like the coronavirus is political i know what will happen to the show if i bring up any story related to it and i'm just not i just and i, I kind of scolded myself on tma for it at the end of friday's show i think it was friday's show because I, I read something that was i thought pretty benign which was um the 10 west st louis county mayors oh yeah going after uh, County Executive Sam Page for a lack of communication and for 
you know, not reopening the county and how it's killing their citizens and so on and so forth. Then killing, I mean killing economically. But this time I should make sure I'm clear on that. And um, and I thought it was just kind of a, I don't want to say I thought it was a nothing. If I thought it was a nothing, I wouldn't have read it. But I didn't see how that could possibly get into, and it just got it into stuff. And it's just like, oh, this is, you know, it's just, it's kind of a nothing is safe. And, and by nothing is safe, I mean nothing is safe from the political thing. And the text inbox, which is usually like this great source of comedy, just goes into toxicity. And uh, and so it's like, okay, I can't, not because of the text inbox, but because I'm just like, oh, the show's not, the show's not that great at this moment. So it's like, okay, I can't go into it. Even though I'm interested in topics, um... I just, I kind of, I, I kind of feel like I already know, I can already, I can already like say what everybody's going to say before they say it. And that isn't that interesting to me. I don't know. What do you think, Pete? What do you think on the topic? How do we handle it? Talking about politics? No, no, no. Talking about COVID-19. At I mean. this moment, the different, uh, different uh, on, uh, what are we talking? April 21st is when we're recording this. I mean, my uh, my honest opinion is I kind of like avoiding it. Like, if I want to... I like avoiding a- it if we have something good in its place, but I'm, like, right. totally avoiding the elephant in the room now, right. intentionally. Because I, I like that TMA is kind of like a, a break from it because it's, like, everywhere you look, it's all you see. It's all you hear. It's, like, when we talk about some other stuff, like, I really enjoy that. Like, yeah, I mean, I, like, I love, like, like, today, like, the Zach Zane article today. Like, I thought it was going to be about... And whatever. I mean, I, I suppose it's still the same thing because uh, it's a human emotion that's not exclusive to male, female, or gay, or straight, or bi. It doesn't matter. Um, which is, and I never even got, I never even got to it. <laughs> no, to we left a cliffhanger. Column. But the, the, the uh, what, threesomes, foursomes, whatever, and it enhanced our relationship. And then I'm reading it for the first time, as I am one to do with your Zach Zane links, and it turns out he was topping a gentleman who had been married to a woman for nine years but couldn't get hard i mean that's at that point i'm thinking it's going to turn into a discussion on polyamory which i think could be a fascinating discussion yeah and instead now we've got zach zane limp dick it it, it, uh, you know with a with a with a gentleman who's been married to a woman for nine years and and you really can't get past that and just move on. You can't get you just can't get past it. And understandably, Doug and the Cat, which you know my belief, and I think the audience probably understands it too, is that for television reasons, they want to distance themselves from it as quickly as possible. And I don't want to get them in a weird spot. So if I can tell that they are more uncomfortable <laughs> than, than <usual>. normal, <laughs> yeah, then I'm not going to pursue it. You know, but actually in the commercial break, I kept reading and that's how I found out the guy who he couldn't get hard for was a gentleman who'd been married to a woman for nine years. (laughs) And I thought, boy, this guy really runs into some situations. (laughs) I mean, I learned I learned what the word compersion means. So, I mean, I thought thought it was a valuable, valuable lesson. Sometimes there are words I recognize, but I really don't know how to pronounce them. In that case, I didn't know what it was. I don't think anybody on the dais did. And and so I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. But I thought but I didn't realize it was a Zane article until it was 
you know. Well, I mean, I guess once I saw Men's Health and I scrolled down, then I saw it was a Zane article, and then it's like, okay, <laughs> I thought this was going to be hetero couples talking about threesomes and foursomes, which absolutely interest me. But then it was Zane, and he was he was experiencing <laughs> uh, impotence, and and it was with a waiting husband of nine years to a woman. And Zane saying he was thinking <laughs> if the wife decided she had to move for a job, would he lose Simon, uh, <laughs> the gentleman who had a wonderful chiseled jaw and big biceps with sleeve tats? I mean, was, that cracks who is, me who up. Is, who, is, who is a waiting and yearning bottom <laughs> for Zach Zane, which also, I have to tell you, caught me off guard, just if you want to isolate on, on that particular part. So... There was a whole lot to the story, and I would have loved to have continued with it, but clearly <laughs> it wasn't something that Doug and the cat really wanted to pursue. I think the plowhawk was so fucked up <laughs> today, <laughs> more so than ever, that he wasn't going to be able to participate. And Iggy might not have been in the studio. He was tending to important show business. <laughs> and so at this point, it was me and you reading a Zach Zane article, and it just didn't. It just didn't, uh, and, and, and and like I said, the fact that it was a, a yearning husband of nine years to a woman <laughs> who he was having these uh, experiences with caught me off guard as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, I'll do it here. I'll do it on the podcast. Good afternoon, Tim. Hope you and your family are staying safe during these troubled times. I was wondering what your thoughts are on Trump's daily press conferences. This is a topic I would not bring up on the radio. No. And, and, and you see the text inbox, Pete. You see them come in. And you also notice probably that I don't read them. Right. Um, do you feel they are more helpful or do a disservice to the public good in these trying times? Just some background. Earlier this month, I was furloughed by a major St. Louis company. I've been dealing with the stress of this quarantine, and I feel that his press conferences have been self-serving, cynical, and dishonest. I know people will point to the media's questions as harsh, but in these times, I want to feel assured by the country's leader, and I don't feel that that we are in these briefings. Thanks for providing me joy and laughter in the mornings the last six years, and I look forward to your answer. That is from Pat. Um, yeah, the press conferences, and this is something that is refreshingly, actually, um, being said by Republicans who don't necessarily live in fear of him and Democrats alike, and then also voters who I think probably voted for him and those who voted for Hillary Clinton or did not vote in November 2016, that the press conferences are just, a, I mean, it's an absolute circus. And and so if at this point now I don't even bother with them, but for the first couple of weeks when they would be on, the way I would handle it was, at first I'd go, God, this is unbelievable. I mean, I, I still not, I'm still not at a point of just going, oh, this is, this is now our normal. And I'm not talking about being quarantined with a pandemic. I'm talking about that. You know, what is being said, how it's being handled, how just just awful it, it is. It's just it's a it's a phenomenon. Um, and then it's like kind of like and in, in, in it's like normalized. It's like, yeah, but did you hear the question? And it's just like, God, I mean, you know, and then the same people who would condemn the way Nick Saban or Bill Belichick handle a question love when Donald Trump talks down to reporters. It's a very fascinating, <laughs> it fascinating standard that that each are held to. I digress. My main issue isn't the condescension. It's just being dishonest. That's it. Be the same thing um, if it were coming from somebody on the left. It's just it's just spewing dishonesty. And 
Now, if you want to talk about like the the size of the crowd at the impeachment, it's kind of like okay, whatever. It's joke. I mean, it's it's not a joke, but it's just it's it's harmless. And boy, did it set a tone right out of the gate on day one of what this was going to be like. Yeah. Um, but it's benign, you know. This is different. This can impact people's health, and you know, for those who listen to it and believe it. It then leads to where we are now, a month plus later, of people disputing things that are actually truths. And that, I think, is why I'm just out on, on, on the topic, uh, on the radio show, not on the podcast. As far as where I am now, I don't watch it. When I was watching it then, when I, after I initially noticed what he was doing each day, uh, I would mute it. And then when Fauci, Burks... Um, Mike Pence, uh, the Surgeon General, uh, Jerome Adams, whomever, would talk. Then I'd then I'd turn the volume back on, and I would go back if I didn't turn the volume on right at the exact time to hear the beginning of their answer. And for the record, Mike Pence is uh, is a Republican. Um, you know, uh, so this isn't like, oh, it's Donald Trump. He's Republican. I tune him out. And I feel like I'm, I'm like fighting these like shadow people who aren't necessarily the people I even care to listen to the show who go, see, it's all because he's Republican. It's, it's just not. It's because it's him. It has nothing to do with the Republican thing. Hell, a lot of his policies actually would be more Democratic, I think, by definition. But we're so fucking past that that we're not even talking about it anymore. It's pro-Trump or anti-Trump. It's not even discussed. Well, that's pretty Democratic policy. Um, so it's just, I just, I tune it. I mean, the answer is I tune it out and I don't tune it out because it like angers me. It tu- I tune it out cause it's just, it's just, it's just, it's, it's theater. It's like kind of what we were talking about with Clay Travis last week. It's like, okay, I get what he's doing. It's not my thing. It's obviously a poor, it's, I think, I think there's a Venn diagram there, uh, certainly of the two audiences and you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we're at this point, and hopefully we won't be at this point uh, forever, but that's where we are. I tune it out. Mike, P- Mike Pence, here's a question for you, Gangster Pete. Yo. Because I've been, I've been watching him way more so over the last month and a half, two months than ever before, and I was trying to think who he reminded me of, and I finally reached the conclusion on, uh, I think it was because he was on both Meet the Press and on Fox News Sunday. Um, and it's a politician. So this isn't like, you know, like a football coach. It would be in the same arena. A politician in our lifetimes. And uh, I'm curious if, if as you watch him talk and his mannerisms, if, if you pick up the same thing as I do. First off, I will ask before giving you who I have decided he reminds me of. Is there any politician who Mike Pence reminds you of, Gangster Pete? Um, yeah. Not off the top of my head, no. Bill Clinton. Really? I, and I couldn't figure it out, but I used to watch Bill Clinton in the 1990s and go, God, this guy's so obviously full of shit. <laughs> but unlike Trump, where it's like, People just go, okay, this is just like, what I, you know, it's, it's a different kind of full of shit. Uh, like, I think he actually believes it. <laughs> right. I think that's what's going on there. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly a study 
to be done for decades out from now. Uh, Pence and Clinton, I don't know. I just I see a similarity there. Um, and I'm not talking about because then it's like, you know, because I, I can't imagine there are people in the audience who are f- big fans of both. <laughs> you know, like you're not you can't really be a big Bill Clinton fan and a big Mike Pence fan. I don't think I would imagine there are people who are n- certainly not fans of either. Uh, certainly more so than there are people who are big fans of both. But it's it's mannerism. And it's just like it's it's like it kind of takes you back to the way people used to view politicians as being full of shit, but benignly full of shit. And by that, I mean, it was bullshit, but you knew it was bullshit and they knew it was bullshit. And you knew that they had to go behind closed doors and, you know, do whatever they needed to do in order to, you know, keep the, the trains running on time, so to speak. And it didn't matter who it was. You knew it was bullshit. You know, maybe JFK inspired people to believe it wasn't bullshit or Barack Obama inspired people to believe it wasn't bullshit or Ronald Reagan inspired people to believe it wasn't bullshit. I don't really know that Jimmy Carter or George W. Bush did that, but but at least you were kind of just like, yeah, you know, yeah, now that I found out JFK was this and that and this and that, uh, now that I found out, you know, take your pick. But that's what that's what it reminds me of with um, with Pence, which is actually, in a sense, to compare it to what's going on now, refreshing, not necessarily in a great way, but just in a change from what this is now. Um, And then the second question was or it wasn't really a question. It was an observation regarding some people might say that uh, the reporters are asking. um, Let's see. I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, do you feel these are more helpful due to service to the public good in these trying times? Just some background. Earlier this month, I was furloughed by a major St. Louis company. I've been dealing with the stress of this quarantine, and I feel like this press conferences have been self-serving, cynical, and dishonest. I know people will point to the media's questions as harsh, but in these times, I want to feel assured by the country's leader and don't feel that, that we are in these briefings. Uh, I, I, I don't know. If I were in the White House press room with this stuff going on, I, don't, I really have no idea how I'd handle that. I've, I've never, you know, I, I mean, trying to think of anybody I've ever covered, there, there's just nothing like this. Um, From this guy's perspective, if I was furloughed, I'm watching this, this and Trump is talking about how his ratings are better than The Bachelor, I would be so pissed off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are people who I know who actually get really really and I'm like oh wow you, there are people who are angered by this you know I mean what a fucking vapid statement of course there are people angered by it but um, people I know um, who are close to me in my life who cannot handle it and it really angers them and can't keep it on and for me it's like yeah it's it is it, it's like I don't know how, what we were talking about back in March with this, because you were like, I don't like the politiza- politization of it. Politization? Politization? Whatever. I'm fucking it up. I'm afraid to say it now. <laughs> I know. I really did a number on it. And it's like, yeah, and I'm actually there. Like, there will be a time. Now, I hope all of the people saying now is not the time to litigate what happened are in agreement that there will be a time, because I have a feeling a number of those people will say, whatever, <laughs> we got through it. 
Let's not go back to it. That's what I think is going to happen from the people who are saying now is not the time. See, I am saying now is not the time, but you better fucking believe there will be a time to go back and research under oath what took place with this pandemic in January and February and March and the statements that are on the record. You love that Stan Kroenke, St. Louis uh, deposition idea? I hope you love this one too because I think there are a lot of similarities. So I hope you enjoy both. Otherwise, we're going to have, again, an interesting inconsistency with being mad at head coaches who are uh, dismissive of the media but supportive of the president when he's dismissive of the media. Again, I'm going to have to point that out. So I hope we're on the same page on that. You want discovery? Let's get discovery. But in the midst of an economic and health crisis, I do agree that sitting here and bitching about take your pick of whatever political leader is this is not because what's going to happen? That's my that's when I always play that out. What, what's going to happen? You think he's going to be removed from office? I think Nancy Pelosi is going to be removed from office? Whoever it is that is bothering you at this particular moment, it's just not going to happen. So it's like you're, you're barking at the moon. Nothing's going to take place. So there, of course, will be a day of reckoning. But my mindset now is not the time. As far as if I were in the White House press corps, um, you know, I mean, what, what is being, I mean, God, I mean, I watch it when I would watch it. And it, he would get so mad at the questions, and I'd be like, that question was so harmless. You know, it's just, oh, it's something else. And you know what? The thing is, as I'm saying this, I mean, at this point, I would imagine the people who love him have already bailed on it and are already constructing their fuck you emails to me. But there are a number of people who I'm, like, close with who, and I'm not ne- not necessarily family members per se, um, not because they wouldn't necessarily see it to the point where they'd be like def- defiant on it but like friends who i know hear this and just go yeah you just don't get it and i'm just like yeah man i it's like you know he's not telling the truth like you know it you know he's not and i just can't get past that this guy could be pro poker pro lesbianism pro foursomes you know pro whatever shit that i like you know, pro-agnosticism, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And I'd be like, well, he's fucking lying. So I don't, I don't care if he lines up with the shit that I like. It doesn't matter. Like, to me, that's the most important thing. And also, when he is by himself and has to make a decision, do I believe he's going to make a decision that is in his best interest or in the best interests of the country. And it's not even a fucking, there's not a second that goes by before I have the answer to that question. And I would think most of you are there with me too. And that's what I'm looking for in a leader, not just a president, but a leader in a business. So if, if now, just because that's my definition, it doesn't mean your definition. Pete, as we've said, both of our moms, pro-life through yep. and through. So for them, now, I've never had the conversation with my mom about this because I'd be really curious. But, I mean, I do tell the story of there was one day when we were all living in the same, under the same roof in Hilton Head last year. I feel like I talked about this a few weeks ago. And it was just me and my mom and dad in, in the living room watching the Sunday morning shows. And they just started talking about shit. And I don't even remember what it had to do with uh, probably the, the Mueller report. And I was just like, oh, my God, holy shit. I can't believe <laughs> the things that they're saying. And I'm, I'm not going to argue with them. I'm just going to just, you know, just 
like you wouldn't even notice. It was a very organic get up and leave. <laughs> it wasn't like a huffing and puffing get up and leave. I'm just like, shit, you know. But I sit there and I think if Donald Trump were pro-choice, I don't think that would be the conversation they're having. It's that simple. Which to me is fucking weird. But you know what? If you view abortion through the lens my parents view, in particular my mom views it through, I got to say, I don't blame her. Because if you're viewing that as the murder of millions of babies, I get it. I don't see it that way. But if you do view it that way, and this gentleman, whether you like him or dislike him, is going to side on that side of the issue, well, I have to tell you, I get it. And I guess that's where I, or I differ from some people who are like, oh, I've, I've been loving your anti-Trump take for the last 15 minutes. I feel like I've been wanting you to say this on the radio for the last four years. Now you're finally doing it. And now you're like, you just fucking lost me here. Well, no, I don't know what to tell you. It's just, I, I get it. And I also get people voting for him in 2016 and don't go, oh, you're a bunch of bigots. I don't see it that way. I totally get not voting for Hillary Clinton. I voted for Hillary Clinton, and I used to say on the radio and to my friends, I can't imagine a circumstance <laughs> in which I would ever vote for Hillary Clinton. I mean, I really, I mean, there was, and then sure enough, holy shit, Donald Trump's running for president. So I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. So I say, I can't imagine a circumstance in which I would ever vote for Donald Trump. And I really can't imagine a circumstance in which I would ever vote for Donald Trump. But shit, I used to say I can't imagine a circumstance in which I would ever vote for Hillary Clinton. And there I am voting for Hillary Clinton. And it wasn't, and by the way, it wasn't even a sweat. It was a very easy decision. I just was shocked that it came to that point. So when I'm sitting there and I'm watching these press briefings initially, now, I, like I said, I don't even worry about it. And I see people tweeting about it. I'm like, what, like what were you, are you surprised it got weird today? <laughs> what did you think? What did you think? You thought Reagan was going to walk out today? You thought Obama was going to walk out today? FDR was going to show up with a plan? I mean, <laughs> this is what it is. So it's like hate listening to the radio show. What did you think you were going to get? Like a breakdown of high school basketball? <laughs> This is what we do. It's what he does. So that's why I don't, I'm not upset about it anymore. It's what he does. <sighs> I like that I'm fired. I'm not does even feel thinking good? about does my allergies or how bad TMA was. Let today. it out, that's why, this, that's, why, that's why I was – somebody was saying, I don't know, <laughs> oh, I did, uh, when I was waiting in line, you've gone to Max, right? Thanks for Peter. Oh, yeah, I was there Sunday. All right, I was there Saturday. Took nice. Jameson down there because uh, I know that he – while we wait, and it was only 40 minutes, by the way um, – uh, I know that he'll sleep, which he just doesn't take naps. So I know that he'll sleep. And I'm like, oh, I got some time. I'll do like a you know, Q&A on the fan page and add some wonderful questions. And there was somebody, and I was, somehow something came up on the podcast. And I said, yeah, I, I, I love doing QFTA so much, I, I think about doing it you know, more times a week. Because I just love to be able to BS. And I enjoy, and, I, and Gangster Pete, having you on the thing makes the thing better. So I enjoy it's therapeutic for me, but it, I'm able to talk about the things that I'm really interested in without like having to like look down at the text <laughs> inbox, like personally attacking me and my family, or you know, or or you know, my th- I'm in mid thought and all of a sudden three people are talking. It's just, it's a, it's a refreshing thing, and I feel better. All right, I, I've got two more emails, and uh, and then I will have uh, emptied uh, the emails uh, for QFTA. Uh, good morning, Tim. Uh, Oh, this is a good one. And this was sent in um, almost uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I just found out that Joe Buck is doing a new podcast with someone named Oliver Hudson. Pete, have you listened to this yet? 
I listened to him talk about it with him and Oliver Hudson on Pardon My Take. Okay. I listened to their first episode when it was just the two of them, and they've had Bill Simmons, Mark Cuban, and Alex Rodriguez That's a on good lineup. so far. Uh, oh, absolutely. I have not listened to any of those. Um, let's see. And it made me think of, so I'll reread the sentence. I just found out that Joe Buck's doing a new podcast with someone named Oliver Hudson, and it made me think of that week in 2012. I think that was the year. You are correct. That's uh, very nice. I always like a good year, accurate year reference. When you and he did like five podcasts, the guests that you guys were able to get were incredible, and I enjoyed every second of it. What happened there? Was it too much time for him to pursue any longer with all the changes to podcasts slash technology since then? I would think it would be easier to pull off, especially remotely. In 2020, any chance you guys could do something like that again? Thanks, Kyle from Oakville. All wonderful questions, all with easy answers, none of which I think is uh, is letting anything out of the room. So Oliver Hudson, to start with, is the brother of Kate Hudson. Um, and so they share um, both the same mother and father, and they also were raised by Kurt Russell, who Goldie Hawn, who's been with, has been with forever, but they've never been married. Um, and Oliver Hudson... I actually knew of Oliver Hudson, not as the actor, but he lost on the very first hand oh, yeah. of like the two. Th- Do you know what I'm talking about with this, Pete? Yeah, the World Series of Poker. Yes. Holy shit. I figured you would know about this. Uh, he lost on the very first hand of the World Series of Poker main event to Sam Farha, the guy that would always keep the unlit cigarette in his yeah. mouth. I think he's still playing. Um, and I don't know what I don't know what the, I think it was maybe a one full house over another full house or quads over a full house. I I ought to go back and look at the hand. I've seen it. And I always remember thinking that's got to be the worst fucking thing ever. Um, That's back in my poker days. Now I wouldn't have the same emotion, Um, but that's how I knew him. And and he's been, he's been on a number of shows. And I also knew that um, there is a place. I don't think I'm saying anything that's really cutting edge here because it's, Celebrite. This isn't like a little <laughs> secret conclave in St. Louis, because uh, Oliver Hudson, I believe, lives in L.A. Um, in uh, Cabo, where a number of people go, some of whom you would know from St. Louis. I'm not talking about old money families. I'm talking about like celebrite families. Um, go down, and uh, and and it's like Joe. I don't know if Joe's talked about it on the podcast or not. Um, but, uh, I mean, you name it, as far as A-list goes, they're there. It's, 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 a, it's like to hear Joe talk about it, and he's not talking about it as a brag. I mean, it's, we're just bullshitting. But it's like, yeah, I hit my ball left, and George Strait was in his backyard cutting the grass, you know. And then it's like, yeah, Phil Ivey's a member there, and he kind of pissed people off because he walked out on the range talking about wanting to play $100,000 a hole. And he was kind of doing it to be, you know, look at me. <laughs> but, you know, for everybody there, they all have that money, and it was just kind of like a turnoff, you know, which, of course, is something there's no way anybody listening to this has that kind of money. <laughs> so this, of course, is a foreign concept. To play for $100,000 a hole to anybody listening to this program, hell, $100 a hole is a foreign concept to me, uh, much less $100,000. So, um, you know, and, and DiCaprio and Aniston and so on and so forth. So I think there is like a two-man tournament, and I think Joe and Oliver bonded over that. They played together. This is years ago. I think they won it. 
and um, and they've become good friends ever since. So that's the background on who Oliver Hudson is and how they have the relationship. Um, and it made me think of that week in 2012. That's when Joe and I were doing a podcast. So the backstory on that, and this is this is I have to tip my cap to producer Joe. You and you and uh, producer Joe Gangster Pete have this in common. Um, Joe came up with this idea. I think this is right around the time when Joe was like, I got to get out of radio. He wound up leaving in February or March of 13. But we, um, Joe had this idea. I got to give him the credit. And as in producer Joe, not Buck. Of doing a podcast. And in 2012, while this might not, might seem weird because it was only eight years ago, there were podcasts but they weren't nearly as, I mean, the, the market wasn't nearly as saturated as it is now. And there were a handful. And there were only a couple you could point to as being really successful. And I remember the one that we were talking about was Adam Carolla's. Uh, and that one, we actually had their uh, media kit. And um, what producer Joe's idea was, and now with eight years removed, this certainly wouldn't be a big deal. And it might not have worked then. Uh, because, as I'll get to, everything always comes down to money and time being worth money, which is essentially what matters here for Joe Buck. And what is worth it to him is different than what it is worth to me and what it is to producer Joe. You know, I mean, the man makes millions of dollars a year, uh, you know, so therefore he's going to need to make a hell of a lot more for it to be worth it to him than, than for me or for producer Joe. But Joe had this idea where we would do, I think, a daily podcast and interview Peter King, I remember was one of the names. I can't remember who the NHL person was, baseball, and like go around the leagues and pay these people a good amount of money, good amount of money, not like, you know, like $100 in appearance, which is also nice too. But I mean, this is a, this has been like a, a salary, not six figures either, but, but certainly material dollars. And, you know, what, the, what they would have to do is tweet out the link, which now would absolutely not work. In 2012, it might not have worked, but now people would be like, fuck you, you're tweeting out <laughs> this junk all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just wouldn't play well. Then it, it, that, that wasn't the mindset. And that's what the terms would be. You have to be on for like 10 minutes with us and have to tweet out the link, and that's, that's, and that's what we're going to do. And so we were meeting with people about investing in it. And I remember meeting with Kyle Loesch, who producer Joe had a friendship with. And, you know, I realize now he's a retired major league pitcher, but man made shit. Might, made, might have made nine figures. Um, I don't know. What do you think Kyle Loesch's career oh, yeah, he are? He was really good for a while, too. And he and he was cashing in. So um, I don't know if he would have gotten to the nine figures. I don't know. Let's see. This is going to be interesting. I'm going to take the under on $100 million. Just uh, got 38 89 million. God, how about that? Isn't that just sick? See, I, see thir- I see 38. Are you talking about net worth or what they made playing? What he made playing. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, starting in 2011 and he pitched through 2015, or he was under contract through 2015, he was making eight figures. So that's where it piled up. But even in 2010 with the Cardinals, he made 9.1, and in 2009, 7.4, and in 2008, 4.25. So, anyway, he uh, $89 million. So, I mean, him him floating us, whatever it was going to be, a few hundred thousand dollars was going to be nothing. So, we met with him, met with Kachuk, and then Joe Buck. And we we all each had a relationship or, or, you know, rapport at the very least with each one. And Joe um, was really all, – all everybody was interested – 
And, um, you know, but you also know probably Kachuk and Joe more so than Loesch at the time. You get hit up uh, with ideas. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of the cost of being in that position. Um, and it's an, it can be an awkward spot. So you usually have somebody kind of field it. And then if you're still interested or it's recommended to you, then maybe you take a meeting. But since, you know, we had a report, they took the meeting and they knew it wasn't going to be like, Hey, we need, you know, $3 million to get this thing going. Um, so in the conversation with Joe, it became, well, what if I came on? And then it's like, well, this just totally changed yeah. if you're going to be on it. And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, I can do it. Because why wouldn't I do it? If that's going to help it, why wouldn't I do it? I'm like, well, I mean, if you're going to do it, then now we're talking about a totally different thing. And he goes, yeah. And then it kept going. And I think we met with Joe. Okay, so if we, were, if we did it, we did it, I think, in March of 12. And we met with him, and remember, he had the vo- vocal cord issue during the 2011 World Series, so it had to be in between. And that's when Joe and I went to L.A. to meet with um, his agent and also New York. I think New York was first and then L.A. It was like, this was like two of three weekends. And it was just, it was, a, you know, and, and I told the story just because I thought it was an interesting story, and it just, and people hated on it. Not not a bunch. It's one of those things where I, like two people did and it stands out to me. But they're like, oh, you're bragging. And I'm like, no, I, I don't own the private jet. You know, it's not my private jet. I am 100% coattails. But I would figure people would find these stories amusing. You know, I, di- I didn't accomplish anything here. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a, a rapport with Joe Buck and that has led to me, you know, I'm, I'm fucking Johnny Drama. I didn't do anything, you know. I just am close to the guy who's the guy, but it led to us, you know, to to when we went to New York and he was calling a Giants Falcons playoff game and and having dinner with uh, him and Troy Aikman, um, in kind of a surreal thing, uh, and then being in the box while they're calling the game and Paul Rudd, who he's friends with, was in there and uh, that you know I mean I'm just, like, like this isn't a brag. It's just. But, I mean, if people are taking it that way, it, 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 but it's that's what, that's what we did. But it's not like, yes, I accomplished this much, and then Paul Rudd was hanging out with me. It was Joe was curious about how to structure this thing, and he had an agent in New York. He had an agent in L.A. I think he probably still does, and he wanted to meet with them both. And then the, it got into a weird spot because Aikman was going to be one of our guys. And so he wanted us to talk with Troy about it. And I'm just excited to meet Troy Aikman. I mean, wouldn't you be excited to meet Troy Aikman? Yeah, Thanks absolutely. For being, I mean, yeah. So we're walking. Uh, Joe always stays at the same hotel in New York City. And, um, and Anna Marie and I were staying at a different one in lower Manhattan. And we meet at Joe's hotel. And then um, go over to a place, a place that I used to love. It used to be at the Palazzo, uh, Dos Caminos, a Mexican place in New York City. And I'm like, this is fucking nuts. I'm sitting at a table, like just for like drinks before we go to dinner, uh, with Joe Buck, his agent, and Troy Aikman, and and Chris Myers, um, and I'm just like, you know, it's not a brag because I'm. I mean, if it is, if it's coming off, it is. I can't control it, but I'm in awe of the situation. So if people look at like what we do on TMA and go, man, that's super cool. Like you can't imagine what it'd be like to be around you guys. I'm like, oh, it's not exciting. And I'm sure those guys are like, yeah, it's not exciting. We were sitting there and none of them would ever remember this. 
um, because it's what they do. But I'm like, holy shit, I'm sitting here with, in particular, Troy Aikman. And then Joe brings it up. Chris and the agent or Myers and the agent are in different conversations. Now it's me, Joe, and Aikman having this conversation about this vision. And I think Aikman views me as the, the, the business guy. And, and he's going to now dig in on uh, what he wants for it and, and just like, kind of stare me down. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, how did, this, how did this happen? Because we're talking about doing it. Troy says he'd be interested in doing it. And then he looks at me and just like stares through my soul like a Phil Ivey <laughs> trying to pick up a Reed situation. And he goes... I wouldn't do it for anything less. And then he gives this number, and I'm like, okay, that sounds good. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not really the guy with that money. I think he was looking at me as like an agent guy or the guy with the idea, and now he's negotiating. And Joe was just pitching the idea to him, and Troy mistook me for being, you know, whatever, money guy involved with it, which no surprise here, I'm not. I wasn't then. I'm not now. And... um and and I, once he realized that wasn't the case, then we wound up we wound up going to dinner, bullshitting about it. Uh, it was dinner with the whole Fox crew. Like God, I would say there were thirty people at this table, and I happened to be seated with uh, across from Joe and Troy. And Joe was raving about TMA and how he loved the show. And that's where Troy started talking about. And I think he's an owner in the Ticket in Dallas, which is a really successful sports talk radio sh- uh, station. And, uh, and and apparently, and because Joe was going, the best part about their show is they really never talk sports. And that's when Troy goes, yeah. He goes, I, I think he goes, I, either I'm on with the ticket or I own part of the ticket in Dallas. And when I go on, we hardly ever talk sports. And that's what they do. And that's that's the secret to the whole thing is that they just bullshit and the guys are funny and the audience likes it. And Joe goes, oh, that's exactly what you guys have going on. So it was a cool, surreal thing. Uh, I don't think uh, Troy Aikman would remember one second of it. <laughs> even if you would incentivize him with $10 million. Um, but for me, it was an, a cool thing. And then a couple weeks later, went to Los Angeles. Um, but we stopped in um, Palm Springs, where Joe had to MC something for a night, and then flew to uh, Santa Monica, which is when, for golf fans, in what is something that, because I was kind of out of the golf thing at that time, and I didn't realize it was that big of a deal, even though I knew who he was. They got done playing this charity tournament at the Madison Club, which is, look that one up, that's in another world. And it had just opened, I think. Uh, and and the way these people operate is they, they like how you would say, hey, can I bum a ride to the TMA Live? It's, hey, can I catch a ride with you? Where are you going on your jet? It's just a different world. And so Anthony Kim, who is like disappeared oh, yeah. from the golf world, we're sitting there, me and Anna Marie are waiting. Cause Joe played in the event, and I'm just sitting there waiting. Probably looking like a total hoodlum. It's something that's a, like a castle, uh, much less the golf course. Glenn Fry was had just gotten done playing, and he's sitting over there. I mean, it's fucking, what the hell am I doing there? And Anthony Kim pops up and goes, hey, JB, can I catch a ride with you to L.A.? <laughs> and so it winds up being me, Joe Buck, my wife, and Anthony Kim on this, you know, I don't even know what it is, maybe 40-minute flight from Palm Springs to Los Angeles, Santa Monica uh, Airport. And Anthony Kim's telling these just ridiculous gambling stories. I mean, 
asinine gambling stories. So when people go, what happened to Anthony Kim? I'm like, well, I actually was with him. Didn't realize I didn't realize I was like on a plane with the golf equivalent of Sasquatch. <laughs> and and I can tell you, it seems like he has a, a gambling issue. So I don't know if that has tied into why he hasn't gotten back into professional golf. People always theorize that it has something to do with this insurance policy. So we meet with Joe's agent, uh, I think the next morning, yeah, and, um, and discuss this thing. And we were all ready to go with it and do a show. And Joe wanted to test it out. And we did it on KFNS. And KFNS, as you can imagine, was thrilled to have Joe Buck hosting a show for five days. And we had Wayne Gretzky, and we had Alex Rodriguez, and we had John Hamm, and we had Paul Rudd, and we had Aikman. Uh, and it was, and, and, and you only did five days and it was a two hour show. So like there'd be a guest day where it was Wayne Gretzky, Alex Rodriguez and John Hamm, like in a matter of 90 minutes on KFNS. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was, it was insanity and it of course was well received. How couldn't it be? And it, it had nothing to do with me. Joe could have been there with a cardboard cutout. It didn't matter. I had not, not that this is, this is groundbreaking shit. It was all him, and he was able to text him. But he was coming off that HBO thing that did not go well, the Artie Lang debacle. And while that was one issue, the bigger issue that Joe had with it, and I think he wrote about this in his book, so I don't think I'm saying anything that's out of school, was that he would somehow be responsible for getting the guests to fly up to um, to New York and would like have to get people to like get book the flights for these people, like with Favre flying up from Mississippi to do the show and so on and so forth. And he's just like, I don't want to go through that again. And I'm like, but that was when you had to have him fly to New York to be on the show. In this case, you could text him and say, hey, do you have 20 minutes? And then they'll be on the show. And so he experienced that. He saw what happened. And I laid out a, a business model once we did it. I said, man, you know, I know what you kind of need to make. He had told me what he needs to make. I assure you, as you might imagine, it, it's more than uh, anybody in St. Louis radio is making. <laughs> but it was not going to be limited to St. Louis radio. It was going to be... Um, a podcast and it's a shame it didn't wind up happening but the reason it didn't of course it's a shame but here's why it didn't wind up happening he had just started up with his now wife michelle michelle beisner at the time michelle beisner buck now um and they didn't live bo they both didn't live in st louis so he's spending a lot of time flying back and forth his daughters who are now one is in college and one is out of college and now in, like, television and doing stuff on SNL. And, I mean, just incredibly accomplished. Uh, you know, he had two daughters. He's fresh off a divorce. So, you know, spending time with them was, you know, the utmost importance. And then the thing that I think probably blew it up more than anything else was FS1 was coming into play. It was about to debut. And when we were first talking about it in 2011 slash 2012, that wasn't on the horizon. And then it started coming into play. And do you remember the rollout of FS1, Gangster Pete? Uh, yeah, vaguely. I mean, they, had, they, they brought in the two guys from Canada who were ridiculously popular in Canada. Dan and Jay, I think, maybe? I don't to remember To anchor that. their sports center. Uh, and it just bombed. Yeah. Absolutely It wasn't bombed. good. They, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, they, those guys were gods in Canada. Um and it just didn't translate. And then they then they would have God, who was it? It was like Gary Payton, Andy Roddick, Donovan McNabb, like in their own little area, and Dan and Jay would throw to them <laughs> to like get their takes on the big stories of the day. And it's just kinda like they tried to make it work with names, but you know, 
Charles Barkley's a name, but Charles Barkley's a talent. Shaquille O'Neal's a name, but Shaquille O'Neal's a talent. Right. And Kenny the Jet is a name, but Kenny the Jet's a talent. But here's the difference. It's not just the talent. It's the chemistry those guys have along with Ernie Johnson that makes the thing work. You know, Terry Bradshaw's a name. Jimmy Johnson's a name. Strahan's a name. Howie Long's a name. But it's the chemistry those guys have that, that make that thing work. So you can't just throw big names in and just expect to have that magic recreated. And it just was a disaster. Plus, they had a bunch of other shows. Regis Philbin was hosting something. And I think Joe thought he was going to be involved with that. And I think he was in a contract renegotiation. And he, he, he and it was a tough spot because Dan Caesar was calling me asking if we were going to do it. And I go on the record and I go to Joe. I said, hey, Caesar's writing about it. And he's asking if this thing's going to happen. He goes, yeah, you can tell him we're going to do it. And I'm like, sweet. And it wasn't even like, a, oh, shit, that's great to hear. It was like, yeah, we knew we were going to do it. And then... You know, two months later, like in May of 2012, uh, he's like, I just can't do it. He goes, I got too much on my plate. I'm going back and forth to see Michelle. She's coming back and forth to me. I have my daughters. Um, and then I think I'm going to be doing something, a show on FS1. I just can't possibly add another thing to my plate. Plus, also, once, you know, I'm, I'm still doing, he's doing Saturday baseball. Then October, you know, Sunday rolls around or NFL rolls around on Sundays. It just, it just, it just, it fell off. And and I, I guess the only thing, my disappointment, you know, certainly I would have loved to have done the show, goes without saying. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I get it. I, it that, that's not even, there's not a, like, God damn it at all, because I totally get it. Like, how can you not get it? The only thing, the only thing, and it's like the most minor thing of all that I don't like about it, or that I regret about it, I guess, is that. I'm on the record publicly saying it's going to happen, and then it didn't happen. But I only said that after texting Joe to say, all right, Dan's asking me. And I'm in, in hindsight, I don't know why Dan was asking me, because he always talks with Joe, obviously, and writes about him. Um, you know, what is the plan? And I think it was something along the lines, it is going to happen, we just don't know the date or something along those lines. And, you know, I mean, it, is this a huge deal? No, I mean, shit, it's been, you know, eight years. But uh, it's... You know, I don't like going on the record and, and saying something's going to happen and then it not wind up happening, but that's how it all came to pass. So, Joe doing a podcast now, I don't go, God damn it, Oliver Hudson, you replaced me. I didn't even think about it. It didn't even cross my mind um, until reading this email. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, and I probably never told the story as to why it didn't happen. And And I guess if I did without being asked about it, it might come off as like I'm mad at Joe, and it's the. I mean, shit. Joe's been on this podcast however many times he's been on this podcast. Joe's hosted, uh, did a Q and A with me at uh, the Improv Shop. Um, we've all hung out, Anna Marie and Michelle and myself and Joe, um, before. So it, you know, it, it, it's not like there's this bitterness over this 2012 podcast that didn't happen. Not that the author of the email is saying that there was. But, um, you know, just to, to give the backstory on it. And honestly, I, I don't know how it would have really played out because Joe, Joe, I mean, God, it was, it, it does, it's, he came up to, um, I was having dinner with Anna Marie and her parents for, I think, her mom's birthday. Yeah, her mom's birthday um, in November 2012. Yeah, so, okay, we must have talked about it. God. November 2011? So, man, we must have talked about this right after the World Series. I don't know what the hell happened. Had to be around December. Uh, 
and it all tied in with Michelle. The first time he ever saw his wife, and he writes about this in his book because he talks about it in the book, um, I, I was aware of it, was as we were walking out of, at the time, what was Sports Authority Field. It's now, I have no idea, but it's where the Broncos play. And um, and it was, okay, so that was, 2012, that was 2012. All right, that makes sense. That was 2012. Um, with uh, me, Anna Marie, Aikman yet again, and they had just called this exhibition game between the Broncos and the 49ers in August. Uh, and we were going from Denver to Las Vegas just to hang out. This was kind of more just a hangout thing. This wasn't a you know business thing. And it was supposed to be a business thing, but then something fell through, and he's like, well, if you guys still want to come, you can still come. I'm like, sure, absolutely. And the first time he saw Michelle was um, – in like the walkway as you're walking either onto the field at the Broncos stadium or, you know, into the car out of the stadium. It was the first time that he saw her and he writes about it and he didn't say anything um, at that time, but he mentions it. He mentions that specific thing. I'm like, Oh, I was walking with you. I didn't, didn't, you know, know, how would I see? But uh, that, that, that night, you know, he, he just, he was, just fell in love, and God bless. They've been together now for eight years and uh, have two kids together. And all of that was coinciding with the timing of uh, doing doing it. And and so 20, 2011, 2012 was when we talked about doing the podcast. We did the thing in April, I think, of 2012. Uh, I think I'm in the paper, and I'll have to look that up, April or May of 2012 with a quote saying we're going to do it. Then it fell through, and then it somehow got back to it because we were together in August of 2012 and talking about it again in November 2012. So I wonder what would have happened there. Something, I don't know, the timing doesn't make sense, but I know that had to be because it was right after my, my cancer scare, and I know that was November 2012. So the stuff went on for a while, um, and it just didn't wind up happening. But we're playing it out, knowing the dollars involved. And he came up that night. We were at Jimmy's on the Park. Remember that place you ever eat there, Pete? Yeah, good stuff. Great stuff. No longer with us in Demun. Um, and Joe came up, and he was going to meet um, Michelle, and uh, and and not like a date thing. She was in town. It was a Rams game, and I think she was doing sidelines or something. I don't know. She was in town for that. And uh, and he was just going to, like, show around. It wasn't a date. It wasn't a one-on-one thing. But he was just really nervous about it. And so I, he came up to get a drink. And so we had a drink at the bar before we went in to have, uh, not Joe, having dinner with Anna Marie's family, but before I went in to have dinner with Anna Marie's family, my wife's family, and, um, and bullshit about this. And I remember him specifically saying, listen, he goes, this isn't a brag. This isn't to pop up in, you know, take your pick of whatever publication. It's to lay out my situation and then therefore how much it's, I'm going to need to make in order for in order for it to to work. And he told me the number, um, which, you know, you know, I think people can be sure you can probably look it up yourself, although I don't know if it's written about accurately when it comes to people's salaries. I never know how these fucking things get out either, by the way, people's salaries. Um, but anyway, whatever. And he goes, so therefore, if I'm going to do this, it's going to need to somehow be able to pay this. And I go, okay, I get it. I think we can do that. I really do, because we're not just going to do it in St. Louis. Um, but then as it wound up playing out, you know, maybe maybe it was 2013 where 
where the Fox Sports 1 thing happened, and then in 2012, somehow it didn't happen for a different reason. I don't know. But I know that we did it in 2012, and I know that we wound up getting back together a couple of different times in August of 12 and November of 12. And I know that it was in November of 12 is when he told me at Jimmy's on the Park what he uh, made and what he would have to make from doing our thing in order to do it. So it must have. Ca- so I don't know the details on why what was going on then. But I know it all started up for sure in uh, January of 2012 being on those those trips just because I remember it being surreal to be around. And in L.A. at, the, at the, the golf tournament thing, it was, as I said, it was Glenn Fry doing a private concert for like 200 people. Uh, I was sitting at a table with Pat Perez, the golfer. Um, that next to me was Tony Robbins, Mary Hart, and John Elway at a table. That's at the at Madison Club? The Madison Club. Dude, I am looking at that right now. It is sick. It's, it's, it's where Mickelson goes and plays during the winter. It's just It's, it's unreal. It's, and it's, it's a thing where... This isn't, you know, and I don't know, I, I hope people can, I mean, if they can't, they can't, and they already don't like me anyway, but it, it can tell a difference between a brag <laughs> and this. And I don't really know how. I just know that it's not a brag, because it's not like I'm like, yes, I bought a table for me and Anna Marie to have dinner at the Madison Club for this charity event <laughs> that Joe Buck emceed and Glenn Fry, the late Glenn Fry, played a private concert at. You know, that wasn't it. It was like... We, Anna Marie and I, like once every six months or so, somehow it'll come up. And she'll go, God, I can't believe we went. And her big thing on I can't believe we went to that isn't I can't believe we were there. It was I was wearing jeans, like a gray J. Crew T-shirt with the neck like just all bent out of shape and my green cardinal cap that is just ripped up like a 90s stoner. And Anna Marie, God bless her. I mean, she's, you know. She's going to look nice, you know, no matter what. But still, she's with me, so that, that hurts her stock. And, and, and we, did, we weren't dressed appropriately. But Joe, we honestly thought, you know, and it was for Ben Crane, who at the time was on tour. I don't think he's on tour anymore. And Joe just had to emcee it for this, this charity thing. And I remember, I remember Stuart Sink um, being, like, at a table nearby, not that he's, you know, Tiger or anything like that. Who knows who was really there? I mean, I just remember the people around me, and I remember being introduced to Pat Perez, but I was so not into golf at the time. I just couldn't. I, I was just like, oh, cool. And Joe's like, he's the most amusing guy on tour. And I'm like, I've never heard of him. He's got long hair. Would have thought I would have, you know, I'm just like, whatever. And I remember sitting at the table and him being amusing. But then, you know, so that's at night. I think that was a Sunday night. The golf tournament was on a Monday. And again, I'm just totally not into golf at the time. I mean, I'm so, like, for, for like, I, like I'm, I'm supposed to play in an hour and ten minutes, and I played yesterday, and I can't wait to do it, and it's important to me. And to think that I was at Madison Club, and I couldn't have cared any less, and I was on a private jet with Anthony Kim, and I couldn't have cared any less. It's just a weird thing, but that's where I was, and this was eight years ago, and... Uh, and, and and we look back on it, and, we're, and, and Joe just being kind of how he is, he just doesn't really get worked up about shit. He's so nice. He's, I remember thinking his ability to MC is so naturally funny. It's not like this thing that I, I, I don't go to the St. Louis events. They, they make me fucking cringe, and I love that I'm not asked to be at them because <laughs> I, I don't know how I'd get out of it. Um, but... Uh, because I just couldn't do it. I couldn't MC him because it's just that. But Joe, in, an, in, an, in a Southern California setting, could be, you know, kind of whatever, off color, and it's welcomed. And, uh, 
and I just remember him saying, yeah, I got this thing. He goes, you guys ought to come. And I'm just like, I don't know. You know I'm kind of tired. Because we had no idea what it was. And we wind up going, and I think it was once we saw, like, these tents and the and at some point, like, how nice it was and having no idea. I mean, having no idea. If you would have went to their website, you wouldn't have gone. <laughs> had no, yeah. I mean, this is yeah, unreal. Going, I mean, I still haven't gone to the website. I still haven't gone. I, I know, I know the, it's, it's all this thing, Discovery Properties. I'm all right. I just typed I've been watching. Madison. I've been watching the videos on the on the website since you mentioned it just over and over it's it's just it's i can't even imagine i can't even imagine and it's so by the way i'll come full circle because it's i see it's noon and i think we started talking at like 10 20 so i'm doing it to you again and i got a tea time uh and that's assuming anna marie's gonna let me go do this back-to-back days i think i'm just gonna ask this is gonna be a jameson day uh where he comes out on the course and tortures the people i'm playing with but fine at least at least i get him out there with me but uh, i swear to you gangster pete i swear to you and it just this is just like it's like the, it's like it's like stefano demera obscure days of our lives reference <laughs> for those of you who got it though it's rewarding to you for the rest of you you're like what the fuck is this but it's constantly there I swear to you, what was I doing at Madison Club the, the next day of the golf tournament when the, eventually we'd be on the, the private jet with Anthony Kim and sitting on the, at the table with Glenn Fry after he got done playing? I had to excuse myself to go down by the pool and talk to the owner of KFNS about his continuing persistence of me buying KFNS. It was going on in January of 2012, and by God, here we are in April of 2020, and Stefano Demera will not go away. It was. It's still going on. That's what I was doing. And, and at the time, I'm, I, did, I didn't even think, because I didn't know what Madison Club was. I think it had just opened up. I think I think that was the big deal. I, I mean, think. the residences on this place are There's residences. Sick. I didn't know that was important. Oh, my God. you got to click that tab. Unreal. I, I see. There's a weddings tab. I wonder what. I wonder how much that that'll run you to get married. At, you don't want to know at Madison Club. I wonder what the wonder what, what what the downstroke is to be a member at Madison Club. I mean, it was just. It, I had no idea. And I, I just remember walking up, and it became a thing. We and, but that's it's such a credit to Joe. Like it, like kind of. I see. It, like once a week, there's a, a thread on the fan page. I don't get why people hate Joe Buck, and then it's like, yeah, it's because he calls national games, and it's like the same thread every week, and it's the same discussion over and over again. And it's like that's that, and I get that, and I don't play people saying. And Joe says it. I feel like Joe talks about it a hell of a lot at this point that he's calling huge games, and people are used to their local announcers, and he's getting excited for the other team at the point of the opposition's fans are at their absolute low because something bad just happened to their team. It's all It all makes all the sense in the world when you lay it out that way. And that's that. But my experience with him is here's a guy who knows, even though he's not saying it, that this is going to be a cool thing. And he knows that it, whether whether I'm from South St. Louis, which is kind of my go-to thing, um, or I, or I still, I, I was a classmate of his at Indiana or MICDS. It doesn't matter, you know. Th- it, you could, you could have gone to uh, Indiana in the, you know, Kelly Business School, and 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 you don't get a chance to watch Glenn Fry play a private concert for 200 people, and be around, take your pick of these people at the Madison Club, you know. So he recognizes that this is, 
and he wants you know he wants people to be able to experience it you know because he knows he and, and then there's a, there's a there's an awareness there without going hey here's what we have on tap for you tonight i know you just flew private to southern to palm springs in january with me you know uh and and you know and i think that's the first time i'd ever been on a private jet in my life and i know that uh or maybe the second time because the previous one was 2 weeks earlier to new york with him and I know that, you know, that this is this is an incredible thing. So, you know, make sure that you bring nice clothes. Don't embarrass me. You're going to be sitting with me at this table. And, you know, we're going to be sitting with PGA Tour players. And, and right to our left is going to be Mary Hart and Tony Robbins and John Elway. And um, it just wasn't like that. I mean, it just wasn't like that because that's not who he is. And I think it would have been because I think he gets so much of it from his dad. And I don't think that's, I know that's not who his dad was, you know? I mean, in a limited amount, but another, but, but I do have firsthand experiences with Jack Buck. And, and it's just, these are traits that once, you, once you're exposed to these traits, traits that you and I, Pete, can't possibly relate to because we don't get to experience this kind of stuff, you know, we, I guess we get occasional tastes of it, but not because of anything we've done, but because of, you know, whatever relatives or friends or whatever the case might be and that's the way that i think i would like to think if i were in that position i would handle it i wouldn't go <laughs> listen i know you're a shit bag so you're gonna have to rent something to wear tonight because you're going to be around people with a combined <laughs> wealth of 50 billion dollars at this dinner don't embarrass me it'd be like hey you guys ought to come i think you're gonna have a good time and that's how it was presented but because it was presented that way we show up, and I mean, I'm wearing, I probably have the same shit, the same jeans. I know I still have the green cardinal cap, the same gray T-shirt. And, and I, I, mean, I got they one just of those had, cardinal caps. <laughs> they had this, the people there had to be like, oh, Joe, Joe brought the poor family with him. That's so nice of him. They probably thought you were like an eccentric billionaire. <laughs> yeah, they probably did. Like, this you guy know, doesn't this, give a this fuck. Must be, this must be Seth McFarlane's buddy. You say your name's McKernan. Oh, it must be McFarlane. I must have misunderstood. He's the eccentric writer with Seth McFarlane on Family Guy. And he's, that, you're exactly right. That's probably what it was. And I've to, I know I've told the story before. It was the same night I was around Massimo, who... When I would initially tell the story, it was, oh, the guy with the clothing line that, you know, people in South County wore in like the <laughs> 90s, you know, that's, 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 that's what, that's what people knew him for. Well, now they know him for the Lori Laughlin. He's, he's the husband of Lori Laughlin and the, Becky. you know, the child college bri bribery scandal, you know, and how they might do time. But we went to this after, after the Ben Crane event went to this bar. God, I don't know. So whenever, we, whenever the Plowak plays that drop, isn't it John Voigt, the, uh, the Ray Donovan drop, something called the Palm Springs, when John Voigt goes Palm Springs, <laughs> I, the, the buggy whip, Palm Springs, went home with a guy named Jose. That's it. I swear the place we went to, I thought it was called the Tack Room. I'm going to yeah, there is one. Okay, there is a Tack Room Palm Springs. Okay, it does exist. So it's like, okay, I just looked it up. I just typed it in. It's the first time I've done it since I was there. Indio, California. I didn't even know I was in Indio, California. Uh, rustic, chic bar and grill. Um, so that's where we wound up going. And we're with, I'm in a, and I'm in a, a van 
with a guy, not Jim Crane, but somebody who's an owner of the Houston Astros, <laughs> with Joe, with my wife, with Tommy Armour. <laughs> I'm not bullshitting you. Um, I think Massimo and Tommy Armour is trying to get everybody to use somebody because he doesn't have his own private jet. Okay, this is, I mean, this is so fucking, I realize it sounds so fucking weird, but I remember it, to get somebody to use their private jet to get on the jet to fly to Vegas. You know, because it's not that far by private jet, and and he really wants to go to Las Vegas. And and the joke regarding Tommy Armour for golf fans is the, the metal spikes, but for for those people, it was that Tommy always tries to get people to, you know, use their private jet. <laughs> and it's just like this is so fucking foreign to me. And we go to the tack room, and there's some guy. Now, this guy, I don't know who he was, but he had to have money because that was, well, I guess, of course, you could assume I had to have money. And I, I didn't, and I don't, and so I was, I was along for the ride, so maybe this guy didn't. And he was talking to somebody, and he was looking Anna Marie up and down and trying to figure out. And I overheard him, so it was kind of annoying, but it's not, this shit could happen if I were at, you know, Chipotle next to Vianney. You know, it doesn't have to be the tack room in Palm Springs where people are like, what the fuck is she doing with him? So that was the conversation, and I overheard it, and he's saying it to Massimo, and then, of course, he makes his move and does the whole song and dance and, you know, whatever. So then we wind up, the four of us, in a conversation, and, you know, whatever, it, it's, it's, it goes nowhere. And then Ma- Massimo and, and I wind up bullshitting, um, you know, because I'm like, yeah, you know, I started inside STL.com. <laughs> Of course you've heard of it. You're a member at Bel Air Country Club. Isn't everybody talking about Girl Next Door of the Year and who's going to win? You know, so and, and and he's telling a story and I have no idea who the fuck he is. And and, and I and I, you know, and he's he's not like a he's he's not a big guy. I think we're probably comparable in size, might even weigh less than me. You know, he's a smallish guy and uh, and. You know, but but everybody knew him, and we just bullshit him. Just like, all right, we're standing at the bar here. It's whatever, one in the morning, and just bullshit on a Sunday night, having drinks, gives a shit. And he's telling a story, and I'm asking questions, and he's telling a story. He goes, yeah, and then he goes, then I sold it, you know, or no, what the tell was, well, did you watch Full House? And I said, of course I watched Full House. And he goes, yeah, well, uh, Aunt, what was her name? Becky. Aunt Becky, thank you. Fine. Aunt Becky, yeah, I'm I'm married to Aunt Becky. Lori Laughlin's my wife. Like what the fuck? I'm like what the fuck just happened here? The only reason I was talking to you is because your buddy was trying to make a move on my wife, and and then it wound up just being an amusing conversation. And I'm like, okay, so what the fuck, you know? And and then he then he then we then I'm just, then I just I'm like I'm like oh my god because he I think he just started I think I think Massimo's line started by putting clothes he was designing on a on a rack outside of like this little thing he had in the garment district in New York City and then he winds up selling it I think, I think to Target for like yeah fuck, Target was it for like I don't know tens of millions at least I don't want to say hundreds of millions and be wrong but it's certainly obviously a shitload of money and. Um, and I just I love that story because it, it speaks to everyone who ever starts a business, whether it be something that they started and it went absolutely nowhere and was a bust, or it started with putting clothes out on a rack in the garment district in Manhattan and selling it for let's call it a hundred million a target, who fucking knows. Uh, that everybody's got a story. And everybody at some point 
had to make the decision to bet on themselves. And it doesn't matter if you were doing it and doing a $100 million capital raise or doing it and taking the $500 you have to your name or the $1,000 you got a loan from your parents for whatever it was. Everybody's got the story and remembers the moments. And that's the thing about his story. It, wasn't, it didn't like rush up to the, I sold it to Target for $100 million. It was like the, 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 the menial shit uh, along the way. And it was just, it's, it always stands out to me and how, how kind he was on top of it. And you were in there, weren't you, Pete? When we, yeah, you definitely were. We, when we interviewed Kelly yep. Chase after the, um, the Blues won the Cup. And Chase has been on the podcast a few times. And I don't even know how the hell it came up, but we were talking about, so Madison Club is one of these discovery properties. At least it used to be. I assume it still is. And that's why when you hear people going up to Idaho, uh, Gazer, Idaho is, is a discovery property. So, you know, like Gretzky goes there. I guess this Troubadour thing in Nashville is another, dis- another discovery property. That's what Chase is working on. El Dorado and Cabo, that's a discovery property. So this is this this is where these A-list people, and it's, I mean, it's A-A-list. I mean, it is A-list. It's not like, you know. Guess I Attention to detail. It's just, it's, an, it's another, it's another, it, it's, it, like I said, I mean, you, you throw the DiCaprio Clooney thing around. It's like Aniston. It's like, okay, you get an idea where we are. I mean, it's like, oh, so there's George Strait. Who cares? You know, but I mean, for country music fans, he's the king of country music. And he's just like next door mowing grass, like I said. So the the whole thing is 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 a surreal experience. But when we were talking about that conversation and Chase being involved with Discovery Properties, and somehow I go, yeah, I, and they brought up meeting Massimo. He goes, yeah, and by the way, Massimo, he's getting a raw deal. That guy's the nicest guy. And there were some people like, I love the Chase interview, but I really didn't like his Massimo take. And I'm like, fuck. The, of, of all the things you heard Kelly Chase pulling to the side of the road right in front of the Arch and Bush Stadium, listening to the team he played for and broadcast for, <laughs> winning the Stanley Cup, your takeaway was his opinion on Massimo and Lori Laughlin. I'm like, how could that? I didn't even fucking remember it. But that was, that's the thing that stood out to you. Kelly Chase bawling his eyes out as the Blues <laughs> lift the Stanley Cup in Boston after winning Game 7. But it was the Mossimo take that set you off, and you couldn't go on any further. Joe said oh. he was a super nice guy, too. Yes. Well, I mean, I can I can speak to it, too, but those guys obviously know him a hell of a lot. I was with him for a half hour. But, um, yeah, I don't know what will wind up happening with it. But the point being on anybody who starts a business, and that's the I just have a great – even if it fails, because anybody who's ever done it knows you had to take a chance. And you have to have some semblance of courage to take a chance and try to make your life better or your family's life better. And there is no guarantee you're going to sell it to Target for $100 million. So your question, whoever asked this about an hour ago about Joe Buck and Oliver Hudson, has led to an answer that I never, ever thought would uh, take us down this road. But... If anybody ever ha- ever asks what happened with my podcast with Joe Buck, you will have a wealth of informational resources with this answer on this particular podcast. I said I was going to get to the last two emails, and then I went on that for such a long time. <laughs> uh, I think I already answered this one, though. That's what happens. I usually delete them after I answer them, and then I feel like I might not have. Uh, Okay, so I think this was the one about religion. Shit, now if we go into religion, I really will miss my tea time. Hey, Tim, thanks for answering my question. I appreciate the honesty. I am not Catholic, but my wife is, and we decided to raise our five kids. Holy shit, Catholic. God bless you, sir. 
I was wondering about you because I know a lot of Catholics, and typically they were born into it and they stay in it. Uh, keep up the old school rap references. I always end up singing the entire Can't Trust It song when you get started. Thank you for <laughs> doing that for this one person. Also, as a Lindbergh graduate of 91, uh, I love the St. Gabriel emails. It brings me back to a less stressful time. Please tell Plowboy to stop with the mispronunciation of Reese's. <laughs> <laughs> It literally makes me want to jump through my phone. One more thing. I apologize for the longevity, but please do not hesitate to record every activity of your son. The time flies by. Trust me. Peace. That comes from Kevin Reese, hence the reason for yep. the anger over. It's all the coming Reese's. together. Yeah, there it is. Otherwise, that would have been the monster non sequitur. Um, so I guess that was in response to us talking about uh, religion. I'm looking at the question. Hint, Tim, I don't need anonymity, but I chose to email you instead of posting on Facebook because my question's personal. I won't blame you if you choose not to answer it. Religions come up a lot on the podcast, and I'm wondering why you're agnostic after being raised Catholic. So, obviously, we spent some time on that, and that is the follow-up email from uh, Kevin Reese. And I, I hope people... I don't know if people are upset with... I don't know. Nobody really ever talks about it with me. Um, I guess Cletus does. A little bit here and there on the golf course. Cletus is Cletus is somebody I would consider a friend. I think he's a wonderful person. I know you know him, Pete. And the yep. only reason I'm using his name here is because I know a number of the people who listen to TMA um, are familiar with him uh, because he's referenced as the uh, very aggressively congratulatory <laughs> golfer who a number of us play with. Um, and he's just the greatest guy. But he's very but but I mean I I I really like when somebody has views that are so opposite of mine but yet it's like it doesn't it's like not even a you don't even really think about it you know and he he knows it and he know he's been doing this thing on the fan page and i, I know when he does it he goes out and he plays golf and drinks a bunch of wine <laughs> and he comes home and he's shit-faced and then he makes these posts and then, it, and then he goes i'm just having fun but they're political posts and they troll I'm like, dude, why do you do this? Shit? And I don't, I don't, I don't text him saying, dude, stop doing this shit. But he's going to text me something about the CARES Act and how he got his, I don't know what it was, something, and it's just talking about how great it was, what Trump had done, and it just shows what Trump's doing is really working. And he goes, do you mind if I post it? I go, it's got nothing to do with Trump. I just know over the last couple of weeks you posted these things, and it leads to all hell breaking loose. And I haven't said anything to you, but since you're asking me, no, please don't, just because it's going to create a whole bunch of shit. And the fan page has gotten, it's always had its stuff, but during the coronavirus, understandably, people are more on edge. People are, God, the fan page sucks lately. It's not the fucking fan page. It's because everybody's fucking miserable, you know? Whatever other fan pages are out there, I'm sure they're not really humming along right now either because everybody's miserable, they're stuck at home, or they're concerned about their jobs or their health. So, shit, it stands to reason. There's a cause and effect here. Um but Cletus is very religious. At least I think he is. We don't really talk about it all that much. And it's not like I'm anti-religion. See, I think there's a difference where I am versus where Bill Maher is. And I think Bill Maher kind of shits on religious people. And I just don't think that really does... I don't think it really Well, that's just as bad it. as the people that try to push their personal I beliefs I agree. On I you. really do. You know, Pete, and I, I mean, I know we've done this now for two hours and whatever. But, I mean, this is, this is my time to actually <laughs> talk on a show, so I'm going to take it. Uh, that... We, we talked a little bit about, on, on TMA, on uh, Dan Crenshaw, the uh, representative from Texas, right. uh, who's probably best known for Pete Davidson of Saturday Night Live making fun of him in his appearance with his eye patch. 
and then coming on and saying, hey, you know what, I know Pete's getting a lot of shit, but, you know, lay off. Essentially an anti-cancel culture moment, which uh, liberals and conservatives gravitated to. And, and you know, I don't know a whole lot about Dan Crenshaw, although, although you know, outside of the kind of Wikipedia-level knowledge of him, my read on him is he's an incredibly honorable person and uh, somebody I am a fan of. Uh, he happens to be a Republican. Whatever. Don't fucking care. Honorable he's on a person. recent Rogan up. Oh, is he really? Yeah, like last week. Gotta listen. And so people were talking about, and I didn't even realize it because I, I watched the segment twice. Um, where he was on with Bill Maher, and the observation on the fan page was the segment really worked because there wasn't an audience, which I couldn't agree with more. Did you see that segment, by the way, Pete? Yep. What did you think of it? Oh, I thought it was good. I mean, I, and I agree with the not having the audience there to be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that, was the, that was the key on that thing. I really feel that way. And, um, and so, but, but the thing that also was key is that Crenshaw handled Mars' questions so well that it actually, I didn't, the people call it takedown of Bill Maher. I didn't think it was a takedown. Yeah, I didn't see it like that. Takedowns. This is such a, just a jerk off thing. God, fuck that. He wasn't overmatched. No, yeah, no. He just, what he did, it's like I talk, I think I've talked about it here. I know I've talked about it privately for sure. The, the the handful of court cases I've dealt with, my attorney just destroys people. <laughs> but he does it so calmly that they don't even realize they are being destroyed. And then once they finally realize they have just been destroyed, they start losing their shit. And it's an amazing thing to witness. It's beautiful. It's an art. And I'm sure it's not like I found the one attorney in the world who does this. But it's a, it's a, it's, I, I also, and he said in that interview, panic breeds panic, calm breeds calm. And so when you've been in the positions Representative Crenshaw has been in, Navy in Fallujah, <laughs> what's that? Navy, Navy SEAL. SEAL yeah. yeah. Bill Maher coming at you with pointed questions about why do you support Donald Trump, which he made clear. He goes, oh, I'm not necessarily there, but he goes, let's, let's be fair. Let's contextualize this and pointed out some eye-opening things that would be, I think, by definition, in defense of President Trump and his handling of the pandemic. By doing that, as opposed to shouting at Marr, he got his information out there and he made his point and he did disarm Bill Marr as opposed to what you would normally see on that show where you would have an audience's reaction again. So there was an apples to apples because there was no audience, but because also it was done calmly and, and it was just, I mean, it was, and Mar was in a space where he can, you know, cause they're on Skype or whatever the fuck they're on zoom that he could like do what he would normally do. And it was just so, and I just thought, and I'm like, I got to tell you something. I mean, there's nobody in the world who is, ever going to be able to tell me that the way Donald Trump handled this with his public statements was the way any other president in my lifetime, the ones I can remember, so we'll go Reagan on onward, would have handled it. Nothing nothing even close. I mean, just nothing even close. Nothing even close. And I believe it played a role in exacerbating the problem. However, I have to say, with what Representative Crenshaw said, 
it was eye-opening with some of the, th- the points he was making that happened to be in defense of the president, even though I get the sense that he's not really a big fan of the president's uh, you know, statements and press conferences and theatrics and so on and so forth. But it was eye-opening, and he was able to get that information out there in a debate-like format because of the way he handled it. Now, also, it was because it wasn't on a set where you would have had the oohs and ahs. But I think it speaks to the ability to try to remain calm as opposed to getting in a shouting match where now you're not, now you're not conscious of the, the, the meat of what you're saying. You're conscious of trying to win the argument and out-shout the person who's shouting at you, and it becomes like reptilian. And, God, I'm telling you, I, 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 you know what, Pete? I'll have to listen to that Rogan podcast because my, my intuition on Crenshaw is that. See, there's this thing right now where somebody makes a good speech or like what's going on with, with Cuomo in New York. It's like, wow, I wish this guy were running. Well, it's yeah. like, okay, I don't know. He's, he's doing good press conferences, I guess. But that doesn't mean he's a president. He had a shitty approval rating in New York before this. So those people certainly knew something the rest of the country and the other 49 states weren't aware of. So just because he does great press conferences doesn't mean that's a president. And just because Anthony Fauci actually goes up there with scientific data, that doesn't mean he should be president. There's this weird thing like, oh, he should be president or she should be president based on their one appearance. It's like there's more to it than that. But my read on Crenshaw is not only is he a leader, but he's very knowledgeable and he's not looking to like light up other sides. He's just going to, this is the way it is. You might not like it, but these are facts. You might not like Donald Trump, but he did shut down travel from China and he was being attacked for doing so when he did it. So you might not like what he did. And then this whole thing that there was nothing going on in February, he goes, that's not true either. There just weren't things going on publicly February. Now, the problem with that is you had Trump talking about how it was just like the flu and it'll miraculously go away. So those statements don't go away. But um, Crenshaw did more to help Trump, I think, than Trump has done to help Trump uh, with the 65 percent of the country who doesn't, you know, buy into that stuff. So I don't know. How did you like him on uh, Rogan's podcast? I haven't listened to it yet. It's from April 7th. Rogan's okay, been so pumping yeah, him out. Lately. He's been pumping him out lately. So has he really? I'm catching up. I got to listen to it. I got to listen to it. All right. We went more than two hours, uh, but I and I didn't even think I had anything today either. And there we go. <laughs> We went two hours. Gangster Pete, I always enjoy it. Thank you to James Carlton. Uh, 314-961-4800. He is my insurance agent. Home, auto, life. James Carlton is the person to do business with. James Carlton online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. And this is very important to note. This is very important to note. State Farm is returning $2 billion in dividends to their policyholders. It's unprecedented and much needed for many families in our area. For those families that haven't been significantly impacted by this crisis and are willing to donate all or part of their dividend, James Carlton State Farm is willing to match any donations up to $100 to the COVID-19 Regional Response Fund. Please email james at carltoninsurance.net if interested. If your insurance costs a leg and arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Thank you to thehomeloanexpert.com. Thank you to Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Thank you to James Carlton. Thank you to Seth Goldcamp, Designer Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com. For Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of Questions from the Audience on the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors, We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. 
Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.